I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube. It is a beautiful Monday morning, week three of the NFL. And you're back in the building. I'm back. I'm back. We drove uh, all day on Saturday. Oh, God. You just got to get in the headspace, Sam. No. And no. before we get into it, I know we got two and a half hours of greatness coming up here soon. Mm-hmm. But congratulations on the World Cup rugby victory, yeah. Sam. Yeah. That's going to be the first 10 minutes, right? It's a big Full one. Island South Africa breakdown. You get 30 seconds. Number one team in the world beats number two. You get 30 two. seconds before people, just giving people time to get into the stream That's here. That's all I got. You know, number one team in the world may, remains number one. Victory against number two for the privilege of facing the All Blacks in the quarterfinal, which sounds unfortunate, but. That's where we are. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that that's how the, uh, the bracket laid out. But I'm just glad that the youth movement in Ireland from three or four years ago is really starting to pay off here. Yeah, a little more, uh, little more veteran of a team than that. But, mm-hmm. but they were young years ago. I mean, yeah, years ago they were. Not, not so much now. Well, that's what I know. Yeah. All right, so we got all sorts of week three NFL action to get into. Another crazy week here, Sam. Um, mm-hmm. You guys already discussed on the PFF NFL podcast show thing that we do here. Already discussed the 49ers 30-12 to 12 victory over the Giants. Mm. A legendary performance by the Giants' pass-blocking unit, the offensive line, the third-worst pass-blocking grade that we've seen in the last four years. So you already discussed all that? Yeah, it's pretty bad. All right, let's get into yesterday's games. Where do I start? You see, actually, with the Giants saying somebody, I don't know if he's a beat reporter or just a Giant-centric account, but somebody tweeted, like, real big bounce-back game from Evan Neal. Everyone else, you know, let him down. It's like Evan Neal just remained as, like, a 48 grade, which is where he's always been, and everyone else just plummeted down into the single digits. It's like he didn't, he didn't bounce anywhere. He just stayed exactly where he normally is, just going to grade in the 40s every week. And then everyone else somehow made that look like, uh, actually, Evan Neal's your best offensive lineman this week. Yeah, it was not good. It was not good in that game. All right, let's get to all the Sunday action here. Let's start Cleveland Browns 27. Okay. Tennessee Titans 3. The Browns move to 2 and 1. Titans fall to 1 and 2, but the Browns defense once again unbelievable. If you take out the two defensive touchdowns that were against the Browns on Monday Night Football yeah, with by the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Browns defense has now allowed 20 points in the last 3 games. 3 points to the Bengals, 14 to the Steelers, and then 3 Yesterday to the Tennessee Titans, Miles Garrett turns the pass rush win rate into four sacks by our numbers. He tackled the quarterback four times. Mm-hmm. I think the NFL probably had him with three and a half. Three and a half. But um, dominant performance again by this Browns defense. Yeah, <laughs> the Browns defense looks really good. Um, and it's the combination of the talent that was always there and just wasn't playing up well. The addition of new talent, you know, guys they brought in that are playing well. And then Jim Schwartz doing his part to make the scheme part of the the defense as well is making that group look like i mean by far the best defense in the nfl through three weeks they look absolutely incredible yeah they do so just you know starting with miles garrett he was unblockable once again there were multiple plays where i like to do this you freeze frame you you freeze frame the 
top of the pocket. And so, like, Ryan Tanhill would get to the top of the pocket and Miles Garrett was standing right next to him. Yeah. That was never good. No. Um, so there's a couple plays in there where Garrett and other pass rushers are just into the backfield. This is one, though, it's not just, hey, the talent figured it out. Like, the, the Browns spent the offseason doing this. The Browns right. spent adding the offseason adding Zedaria Smith and Obo Okoronkwo and Dalvin Tomlinson, pushing guys like Alex Wright down the depth chart so he doesn't have to play you know, 700 snaps like he did last year, and, and it's it's benefiting everybody up front for the yeah. Browns. I mean, Miles Garrett had the most pass rushes on the team. Um, also, a pass rush win rate of 35%, you know, like last week's 40%. It's so, like, oh, that doesn't mean anything. He didn't get home. Well, this is why it means something, because next week he's going to go and get home four times. Anyway, uh, he had the most pass rushes of the team, but numbers two, three, four, five, and six are new players on the team. So... Miles Garrett's doing what he's always done, but now the next five guys in the lineup are new. So absolutely, like reinforcements in the offseason made a huge difference. A couple things that stood out here. So Derrick Henry finishes with 11 carries for 20 yards for the Titans. Is Derrick Henry being phased out of the offense? He's being outsnapped now by Taji Spears, the rookie. Yeah, I wonder Two how out much, of the three games. How much of that was just game flow? You're down. But isn't this like, this feels a bit like Minnesota, Adrian Peterson, where, you know, at the beginning of Adrian Peterson's career, he's on the snap, on the field every snap because he's your best player. Now, he was always their best player, but late in his career, they're like, you know what? You can't really be on the field in passing downs. We're going to put random ass running backs there instead because you're not any good at blocking and you're not a particularly good uh, pass catcher. And, this is what we do on passing down. So you end up getting outsnapped by some rando that nobody's ever heard of. Like now, look, I think Tajik Spears is a good running back, but you know, we've we, it feels like the same idea, right? Like we're, if we're taking Derrick Henry off the field in these situations, we're rather underutilizing Derrick Henry. Yeah, I'm I'm just not sure how much of that is him not, you know, the game flow deal, him not being as part of the pass game. But look, we've seen Derrick Henry start slow. At other times, I'm. We haven't seen him being like removed from the field, though. No, I get it. It's a new dynamic. Oh, eleven twenties for uh, eleven carries for twenty yards for Henry, and six of those carries were against eight man boxes. Right, that's one of Jim Schwartz's things. They're you know they're stacking the box, and they did a nice job shutting down Derrick Henry and Tajay Spears. So it became a one dimensional Titans passing attack that featured Ryan Tannehill getting sacked on yeah five of his thirty dropbacks. So it's. It was just ugly across the board for Tennessee because, again, the credit goes to the, the Browns in their defense. And that's not going to help, by the way. If you're saying Derrick Henry now doesn't really play on passing downs, <laughs> well, you're, you're rather sending up a smoke signal that it's a Derrick Henry carry when he comes on the field, which is only going to increase the number of people right in his path as you're trying to get Derrick Henry runs to go anywhere. That doesn't feel dramatically uh, helpful as an offense. Three weeks in for Tennessee, we've got two pretty disastrous offensive performances and a really nice crisp one in the middle mm. against the Chargers at home. Uh, tough to make of what they're going to be consistently, you know, week in, week out. One other note here, minus 4.1 EPA per play for the Titans on first and second down. That means every time they ran a first or second down play, they, they were almost giving a point <laughs> to the Cleveland Browns, 0.41. I mean, they had six first downs in the game. Oh, yeah, it was bad. They had 94 net yards. And, and because it was so bad for Tennessee, I think it, it's over overlooked 
the fact that Deshaun Watson, first off, Deshaun Watson had his cleanest game in a long, time. in a long, long time for the Browns. But he also went full Aaron Brooks, Sam. Yeah, he went full Aaron Brooks. Do people realize what it's like to go full Aaron Brooks on no, a play? People don't know who Aaron Brooks was. I've got the uh, I've got the video fired up. I tweeted it out earlier this year because it's like once a year. I just have to remember. You just did you did you splice it with the? You need the Watson one side by side. Yeah, I got to figure out. How, I need somebody to help to do that. Brooks. <laughs> In, his, in the standard death and, he, and Watson from yesterday. The Watson, the stats don't, they don't tell you enough of the picture of what that was, you know, because it's like 27 of 33, 289 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, uh, two big time throws, and one turnover worthy play, right? You know, you, you probably have a picture in your mind of what a turnover worthy play looks like. It's not what Deshaun Watson <laughs> did, you know? So, yeah, Aaron Brooks back in 03 or 02, whenever it was, kind of gets, like, spun around. He's, he loses his bearings, and he just chucks it backwards, directly backwards. And uh, that's what Watson did yesterday. I don't know. How, how does that happen? You just lost your bearing? Like, you didn't know. You thought you were throwing toward the line of scrimmage, but Deshaun Watson threw the ball directly backwards yesterday. It can happen. That's a fumble, by the way, Yeah. in, uh, in the NFL. So I accidentally tackled a teammate once because I thought I was facing the wrong direction. Somebody scooped up the ball and started running. I'm like, uh-oh. I took him down. It's a good tackle. Now I was on the wrong person. That's but the type of stuff I wish we had recorded. Look, stuff happens. You get spun around. You don't quite know what way you're facing, and you just feel somebody pick up a ball and start running. You're like, I got to stop that touchdown. I stopped. You know, I stopped it. Play was dead right there. So other than that play, Deshaun Watson played pretty well. Amari Cooper with seven catches for 116. Uh, a and couple he got of hosed those. out of a touchdown, right? Didn't they say he stepped out when he clearly didn't? Did they end up saying he stepped out? I thought they had, right? Did they? Is I don't that know. What they That's at? another one when I'm watching nine games. I look, I'm like, oh, they're doing a review. I don't have time, and I don't yeah. Always, yeah. I don't have time to like see I'm the not outcome. Sit and stare at the review. <laughs> but I know Cooper had um, a couple passes where he was wide open behind the secondary. Um, Nick Chubb's injury. Because I think they blew a whistle on it. Oh, that's what it was, yeah. At which point it can't yeah. be anything other than stopped dead, right? With Nick Chubb's injury, the, the Browns did not get much going on the ground. Jerome Ford, who had that really nice Monday night game, only 10 carries for 18 yards. Didn't really matter, though. The Browns uh, dominating this game. It's also, I mean, that turnover-worthy play that we mentioned with Deshaun Watson, like his grade is going to end up pretty good. His numbers are obviously spectacular. For that to be the case with that play in there suggests, you know, just how clean a game he did have played really well. Like that was that was close to the old version of Deshaun Watson, as we've seen, um, certainly when he was with the Browns, but for a long, long time. The one other thing I wanted to bring up in this game is, did you see that play where Miles Garrett uh, was being followed by two oh, tight ends yeah. side to side? Right. They they had. The Titans were lining up with two extra tight ends, and they were literally tracking Miles Garrett, who was in motion before the snap, going, you know, sort of wandering around, going left side, right side. And they, they were doing this so close to the snap, they ended up having to burn a timeout, right? And, and the thing is, it doesn't really matter what the reason for it was, right? There's two possible explanations. Either those tight ends were assigned, hey, Miles Garrett is murdering us right now, Go and make sure he doesn't do that again on this play, right? Line up wherever he lines up, block him, help the tackle. Please, for the love of God, make this play work, right? Or they were simply lining up whichever side they thought, you know, was the strong side, and that was their assignment on the play. It actually doesn't matter what the answer was because whether or not Miles Garrett individually is being assigned that kind of attention or he was capable of individually changing 
what they were doing on offense in terms of like strong side, weak side, and was able to move around before the snap and screw up the play. So either it's like on an individual personal level, he's ruining the play, or on an individual personal level within the scheme, he's ruining the play. Either way, they've potentially just discovered this cheat code of like motion in defense. You see what the Dolphins are doing right now, motion on offense. If you're able to screw up the offensive play call by like running a, an edge rusher left to right, that's actually that's potentially huge for a defense. Yeah, there was, um, there was a play in the Colts-Ravens game that was similar where there was the... Because defenses have done like pre-snap shifts and stuff, you know, where everyone jumps a gap to the right or, or whatever, like moving around slightly before the yeah, snap. Yeah, literally flipping your yeah. strong side edge. Just screw that kind of yeah. stuff up. Or they'll, yeah, flip over one play. But one guy being able to basically just run to the other side of the lineup and completely banjacks the entire uh, blocking scheme is not something that's been messed with before too much. The Titans were absolutely banjaxed yesterday, I'll say that. Yeah. Weren't they? So, uh, yeah, Browns 27-3. to three. Uh, Very close to being 3-0 and if they weren't, uh, you mm. know, if the offense didn't blow it against the Steelers on Monday Night Football. I mean, that defense is looking absolutely phenomenal. And for the first time, the offense suggested that it could hold up its end of the bargain, if, and that's without Nick Chubb. If that ends up being the case, I mean, the Browns are that, – that's a for real team. Fall is all about the back-to-school and back-to-routine checklist, and the most important task on that list should be securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states, prices subject to underwriting health questions. Let's get into that Indianapolis Colts win over the Baltimore Ravens. It was 22 to 19 in overtime. Colts moved to 2 and 1. Ravens fall to 2 and 1. A little bit of a rain game here. It was sloppy at times. Um, it, I, personally watching it, I kept waiting for the Ravens to just kind of pull away, pull away, but the Colts hung tough. And Gardner Minshew gets the win in his first start with the Indianapolis Colts. It also spurred an email, Sam, that, um, did you see the message I sent you last night? Yeah, I this mean, one, I saw the email. This one, I, I, look, when you guys email us, if you email about punters or kickers, <laughs> I might not read it. <laughs> I'm just, now, if you bring it back to light, as Avery Walker did, the emailer, if you bring it back to light. What's the, uh, the email address, Steve? Uh, NFL podcast at pff.com singular podcast NFL podcast at pff.com so really quick way back um, this must have been during free agency period I don't remember you saying this but Avery does Sam has claimed that he can guarantee all caps that the Colts have made a mistake in signing kicker Matt Gay Mm -hmm. to a four-year 22.5 million dollar deal Sam said the only kicker worthy of this deal is Justin Tucker I mean Avery's been waiting for this game since the schedule release Avery Walker listener, viewer of the PFF NFL podcast, has been waiting 
for the Matt Gay-Justin Tucker Week 3 matchup. Sam further claims that Matt Gay is unlikely to even make it to the end of his deal. Wow. He has asserted that in three years, meaning that's March 2026, Mm. Matt Gay will no longer be on the Colts roster, will have forgotten how to kick, and will have been replaced by an undrafted player. This is what you said way back during free agency, Sam. Yeah. Well, Avery here says, I have unwavering faith in Matt. I'm willing to bet a PFF subscription that in March 2026, he's playing the long game here. Mm -hmm. Matt Gay will not only be on the Colts roster, but he will also have logged more game-winning field goals over the preceding three years than Justin Tucker. Mm -hmm. And here we are, September, six months later. September 2023. Right, not 26. No, 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 no. Just just take the L for now. Uh-huh. Just let Avery have his day in the sun. Because free agent Colts kicker Matt Gay sets an NFL record with four 50-plus yard field goals in this game. In the very same game where Justin Tucker missed a game-winning field goal. Yeah, he missed a It was 61. 60- it doesn't matter. He missed a, <laughs> a game-winning field goal. Matt Gay <laughs> picks up a game-winning field goal. Four total field goals beyond 50 yards. It is Avery Walker's day because he emailed this back in March with the utmost confidence and credit to Avery Walker. To this point, it's a three-year, it's a, long, it's a long-term deal, but man, yeah, what a day yesterday for Avery Walker, for Matt Gay, and the Indianapolis Colts. Uh-huh. The long-term deal was the point. It's a four-year giant sum of money for a kicker, and that's the folly. Uh, I, I, no. you, don't need to, you, don't you, need to, you don't need to defend your point here. Anywho. I'm just um, saying it's a big day. Gardner Minshew game. game because Anthony Richardson didn't make it. So Minshew was one of several veteran quarterbacks actually to start over their you know, younger counterparts because of injury and, and whatnot. Um, and it was kind of interesting because Minshew overall played okay, but the Ravens were intent on blitzing the ever-loving crap out of him. And for some reason, I mean, not with good reason apparently because it worked. Like, Minshew kept seeing the blitz, yeah. knowing it was coming, drifting away from it in the pocket, all of which right, we're, we're right on track at the moment from a quarterback point of view. This is all correct. You've identified the blitz. You know it's coming. You, don't, you know you're responsible for it. So you, the only thing you can do is drift away from the pressure, right? Drift away, buy yourself extra time. But then you got to get rid of the ball. Like, you can't – I mean – you know it's coming. You can only drift so far. You're drifting versus a DB who's at a full sprint, right? He's going to win. So, and yet the last part was where Minshew kept falling over, both literally and figuratively. He drifted away from the pressure and then just ate the sack repeatedly. Last year's first round safety, Kyle Hamilton. We loved Kyle Hamilton coming out. A lot of people did. Free safety, range, and everything. Um, started out a little slow last year, but the Ravens have moved him to more of a slot defender type of role, and he was the one that kept blitzing. I, I was watching, Kyle Hamilton had three sacks in this game, and I thought there was a problem with the PFF video system because you know sometimes in a video system it repeats plays, and and I literally had to like double check multiple times that it was not the same exact play because it was Kyle Hamilton rushing from the the not the blind side, the open side. Mm. Which Minshew couldn't. You know my history with the blind side. The blind side's just the opposite of where you're looking. So if you're looking left, your blind side's to your throwing side. Well, Gardner Minshew gets blitzed from his throwing side, and Hamilton sacks him three different times on exactly what you said. We know the unblocked rusher's coming, and Minshew's, you know, drifting, 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 and just doesn't. That's get the thing. Every the single three sacks one for of Hamilton them. on almost identical plays. Every single one of them, Minshew knew was coming and was moving away from the pressure for quite a period of time and then just 
doesn't do anything with the football and eats the sack. So I want to, I want to give credit to the Colts. I mean, they they hung really tough with with their defense. The the thing it's tough to not look at this from a Ravens perspective and say, man, they had so many opportunities here at the end to put it away. It's a back and forth game, but Lamar Jackson has 14 carries for 101 yards. When he decided to start scrambling, he had a couple of those plays where he was just an absolute magician, either breaking free from a sack or you know knifing through just uh, you know generally as a runner, had two touchdowns. Um, and there was a point in the game where he only had like three incompletions. And at the uh, well into the game, right? He was he was very efficient, but at the end there was all these short passes. He's just off. I mean, this was the Ravens trying to get into field goal range at the end of regulation in overtime, and they're just missing. He's just missing these short passes. Um, your guy Zay Flowers finishes with eight catches for forty-eight yards. We're not. I'm, we don't need to, you know, trash Zay Flowers because of pre-draft takes or anything like that, but. It's another like he didn't have those explosive plays this week. It was another game where they put the ball in his hands and he makes these awesome moves for one yard, and he he's just not creating enough after the catch. I don't think it looks cool, but six yards per catch on the forty eight catch uh, forty eight yards there for um, for Zay Flowers. The Ravens were missing on some of those short area passes, accuracy from Lamar that they needed, you know, just to get into field goal range, and it leads to Justin Tucker missing a 61-yarder in the rain, which is expected, you know, even for a Justin Tucker. And missed it short. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. It was like it was dead on line, like that ball right down the pipe. And then the one thing that everybody was saying, you know, they're, even the announcers were like, oh, he's got plenty of leg. He doesn't need to put everything into this. We know Justin Tucker, blah, blah, blah. It's like, eh, even, even maybe the best kicker of all time needs to put some juice on it to get it 61. Like, that's – I think you're underselling just how far that is as a kick. Uh, But, yeah, he he missed it just short. Um, This was one of the games with quite a few of them this week where turnovers were a big part of it. Uh, Early in the game, Kenyon Drake has a really nice play, and then Juju Brents, the rookie, uh, forces a fumble at the end of it. Um, Lamar Jackson, again, just like this time, okay – Crappy conditions, it was wet, the tail end of Storm Ophelia, whatever the hell it was. Uh, Lamar Jackson tried to pump fake, and the ball just whoop, straight out of his hand. Um, Zach Moss was making some plays. He had a big uh, pass play, 50-50 pass beat Patrick Queen. Did you see the play? There was two plays, actually, back-to-back, where the Colts lined up with Minshew at quarterback and a kicker, Matt Gay, split wide on the play. And I think the Ravens looked at that and were like, what the hell? That's weird. Call a timeout, right? Just just for safety. I don't know what they're doing. That's bizarre. Let's call a timeout and figure it out. So then um, Shane Steichen sends the field goal unit on to kick the field goal. I forget where exactly this was, but, you know, fourth and short up by the goal line. Sends on the kicking unit. And then, like, quick kicking unit runs off the field offense runs back on the field right it's like ah we got to catch them catch them with the special teams unit on beat them with a trick play only when you do that the defense has to be given a chance to substitute so the Ravens just slowly walked off the field that was the play yeah that was the play I was kind of referencing in in the last game breakdown yeah the the Ravens were like okay we have a chance to substitute they took their sweet time and the Colts are stuck there so the official has to literally hold the ball like can't you can't snap it the official is standing there going nope can't do it yet wait for them to sub so this felt like I I mean look you it was like a back-to-back play where play number one Shane Steichen wins right the chess match with John Harbaugh 
Shane Sykin won, John Harbour zero, right? I called this weird-looking play, and they had to burn a timeout just to make sure we weren't going to screw them with something. And then it's like, oh, I'm feeling it now. Watch this. I would have hit him with something really special. Does this trick thing, and Harbour's like, yeah, but there's like a rule that stops that working. I'm just going just gonna to take my sweet-ass time, walk off the field. And then the official holds the thing. They have to they get, delay a game. It's like that, unfortunately. You don't often see like an NFL head coach call something that they're like 100% sure is genius and it turns out is actually idiotic because there's a rule that stops that working. Yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting play. So definitely when defenses you know, have a chance to you know, substitute, they should, they should take their time. Yeah. Play clock like, just, there, just dies have, down. There's nothing in your interest to make that happen quickly. Uh, Lamar Jackson now has six turnover-worthy plays on the year, five of which are fumbles, I believe, if I'm, if I'm counting correct, correctly, four of them on, um, on pass plays, one with a scramble, a couple, couple sacks, including yesterday. Just something to keep an eye on because with, with the new offense, I think there's, there's been a lot of underneath, there's been a lot of horizontal passing. Lamar doesn't have too many just bad errant throws in there. Mm. But the ball security from a fumbling standpoint, which coincides with you know his want to run a little bit, just something to keep an eye on for the Ravens. It's been like it's been a whole sort of thing. Like the first week, he was carrying the ball in that loose, you know, out there, just holding it type of way. Fumbled. Uh, second week, you saw him like high and tight, right, changing arms with it, like being super ball secure. And then this week, it's like it's raining and you're pump faking, and the ball just slips out of your hand. Like, eh. it's a sort of different situation. Michael Pittman, by the way, incredible insane catch in overtime. Yeah, I want to just let's just wrap. We got to wrap this game up, but I want to give the Colts proper credit for this, right? Minshew makes some throws when needed, despite taking some of those negative plays. Michael Pittman, that catch in traffic over two defenders in overtime, one of the most clutch catches you will see. Here, what's your, uh, your you, Mr. Uh, Mr. Mathematical Percentages Man? Yes. What the hell is the thing on? Um, blitz rate for uh, Gardner Minshew. 49 dropbacks, 32 blitzes. It's like 16 for 50. That's... Um, what? 32 out of... 32 out of 49. It's like 16, it's like 63% probably, something like that. This year, through three games, the blitz rate from some defenses has been off the charts high. Like the two, how far does NGS data go back? I haven't checked in our system, but like the two single highest game blitz rates in NFL history happened in the last five days, both of them. And they both resulted in getting wrecked. Like defenses got carved to bits. Yeah, I don't understand that level of extreme. I don't. Um, you mentioned uh, Juju Brents with a nice game, the rookie second rounder for the Colts. Also, mm-hmm. Dallas Flowers, the big long corner for the Colts. Just want to just want to shout those guys out because Didn't they're go, one yeah. of the most fascinating position groups in the NFL that I mention almost every week. They weren't uh, exposed the way we flag could potentially happen. You know, small, shifty Baltimore receivers versus big, long, tall, uh, young, not great necessarily Indianapolis corners. They held up well. All right, let's go Detroit Lions 20, Atlanta Falcons 6. Lions move to 2-1 and one on the season. Falcons fall to 2-1. and one. Um, Lions, after a, a rough game defensively against Seattle last week, they come back and sack Desmond Ritter seven times for the Falcons. And uh, B. John Robinson held to only 33 yards. The battle of the first round, round running backs goes to Jameer Gibbs this week. And the Lions, much better all-around performance from Detroit than what we saw last week against Seattle. Yeah, I mean, great defensive performance from Detroit. That's first and foremost. They did an incredible job here. Um, early on, Alex Anzalone, friend of the show now, ish, 
you know, he's not, on the show. He was yeah, on the show. Uh, he was on the show, and we had a cordial conversation. And then he, you know, accosted us about why our grading thinks he stinks. Off air, um, though. Yes, off air. It's good of him. Professional, very professional. Uh, he got a stop on third down on the opening possession. I forced, you know, forced the punt. Great play. Third and short, like the, the exact type of play where linebackers are getting screwed in today's NFL. It's a tough assignment. Brings down his man, forces the punt. Great play, Alex. Good work. See, mending bridges. Yeah, there you go. Well done. Um, yeah, I was, I've been concerned about Detroit's pass rush over the last couple of weeks where it's been Aiden Hutchinson and no one else really stepping up. And in this game, they absolutely stepped up. Um, Desmond Ritter to blame for probably a couple of those sacks as well. But um, Olim McNeil up front making a ton of big plays, you know, being disruptive. Aiden Hutchinson had his um, a really disruptive game. Andy actually got, you know, got home, got some sacks in there as well because he had other people moving uh Desmond Ritter had had you know the quarterback moving around it wasn't just one guy winning but Hutchinson they continued to move him around had a sack lined up over the guard I think it was against Matt Bergeron the the first rounder I'm sorry second round guard for the Falcons uh, but just a much better performance up front from the Lions and look the Falcons we love every week we're raving about B. John Robinson first carry went for 11 yards that was his long I believe and the the, the Falcons just kept running into uh, unfavorable numbers. They had you know guys like Brian Branch knifing in, you know the rookie yeah. with the undra- unblocked tackle for loss, and the Lions made the Falcons one dimensional, and that turns into a game where Desmond Ritter's inconsistent and getting sacked seven times. Yeah, they their defense did a really good job collectively of just clamping down that run. Like Bijan ends up with thirty three rushing yards, thirty four of which came after contact. Like he had nowhere to go, and there were some plays where he was making things happen still, and just. There was just no room. They they absolutely uh, stopped them going anywhere. Did a great job there. Um, it also, I have to check that one, but it felt like any time there was an, like they focused 100% on the run, and then any time there was an obvious passing situation, it felt like they just sent the house against Desmond Ritter and said, if you can figure it out, good luck. Like, fair play. We don't think you will. And they didn't. <laughs> it worked. Yeah, so trying to figure out, like, the Lions have two good games defensively, basically, and, um, you know, the rough one last week against Seattle. Um, but I was impressed with Detroit on that side of the ball. Offensively, pretty efficient game for them. Sam Laporta, the rookie second-round tight end, c- continues to make a ton of plays, got behind the defense for the 45-yarder. Another great scheme. I mean, the great schemes aren't just, hey, you call every play good, but it's like you dial up a few per game, right? And that is it's what you see in Detroit in their offense every single week. Uh, last week it was, you know, the flea flicker to Khalif Raymond getting behind the defense. This was Sam Laporta running the little corner post and um, just gets behind the defense for a, a free 45-yarder. Amonra St. Brown, uh, nine catches for 102 yards. He was very good. And Gibbs, like I said, he ended up taking a little bit more of the workload, 17 carries for the 80 yards, including a 21-yarder, I think, late when they were running the clock. Yeah, and I think they did a good job of – they, they kind of did what we were – calling for them to do right just just gave them some running back plays don't get caught up trying to make this offensive weapon thing work just give him the running back carries that opened up by David Montgomery not being there that's where you're going to get you know use out of him I wasn't sure they were going to do it I didn't think they would but yeah but I think that's the smartest thing to do um we also need to so we're three weeks into the season right which means it's time to take victory laps because obviously (laughs) at this point we know yes right Brian Branch is incredible. <laughs> that dude is amazing. Brian Branch is going to be one of the best defensive players in this draft class, which I've said all the way along, and I'm now three weeks in. I'm comfortable that that's true. The dude 
what, what, nine targets, gave up five catches for 32 yards, i.e. nothing, two, in, two forced incompletions, and they were matching them up on, like, the matchup weapon problems that the Atlanta Falcons have. Like, one of the pass breakups came against Drake London from the slot running a slant. That's like Drake London's bread and butter. Brian Brad's like, nope, not happening. He's also matched up against Kyle Pitts running outbreaking routes from having to shift off his guy from the slot and then track that down. Brian Branch looks like one of the best defenders from this draft. He looks absolutely incredible. And I do not understand why that guy slipped to the second round. Fair. I'm not- You're allowed to take a victory lap if I agree with you. Good. So, yes. Should work. Brian Branch, good player. Detroit Lions, good win for Detroit. Atlanta falls to 2-1. and one. I, my, my big takeaway with Atlanta is if I don't know, man. If Bijan Robinson isn't making the superhuman plays, not yeah. just him, but you know, if Kyle Pitts or Drake London, if they're not making the superhuman plays, they're and he not, made like that's great. the thing. Like they, there was a play where he like bounces off a linebacker, gets a few more yards, bounces off some more contact, then goes down. It's like he was doing what he could do. There was just the Lions went not today, and then something else has to step up. Like no matter how good your running back is. If you want to, as a defense, you can stop it, but not without opening up something else. Now, the problem Atlanta has right now is there's nothing else necessarily. Like, the, the, the other else is not capable of making plays independently at a, on a reliable basis, and it needs to be. Like, if Ritter can't win in these circumstances, then he can't be QB for that team. We're back with another week of football, and DraftKings Sportsbook is keeping us in on the NFL action with great offers every single day. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Throw down, throw five down on any of this week's epic matchups to walk away an instant winner. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. It's for all customers right now. All customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Football's more fun when you're in on the action, so download the app now and sign up with code PFF. New customers can bet just $5, get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL with code PFF. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. All right, let's go. New England Patriots 15, New York Jets 10. Patriots get their first win. Both teams 1-2 and two now. I think the game kind of went as expected, a defensive battle, little rain, you know, slippery ball. And so other than a 58-yarder from New England, busted coverage, 58-yard mm-hmm. busted coverage to Farrow Brown, neither team really did much offensively. There's drops. There's Like New England's offense looks better than the Jets, um, but the results were pretty close because, yeah, well, every time Zach Wilson was under center, did you ever – feel threatened did you ever feel like he was going to you know be a threat to score not really so and yet the Hail Mary almost like, and the Hail Mary almost won it it had a shot for the I Jets mean, it wasn't going to be on the clean catch but it was deflected and was it Randall Cobb Randall had Cobb had almost landed in Randall Cobb's right hands. had a chance of bringing in the Hail Mary off the deflection it has now been more than 2800 days since the New York Jets beat the New England Patriots wow that's I'm quite gonna... a long time many years yes yeah I mean it just felt like I mean remember last year they were they were in a three to three game I think it was in New York right three to three game and the Patriots won with a walk-off punt return yeah for to win 10 to three this game was you take out the 158 yarder and it's very similar game Patriots also 
you know, one key play, Matthew Judon with uh, with the sack in the end zone for they call that a safety. They do to uh, to go up five. So when Spins. the Jets were driving, every time the Jets were driving at the end, it was you know needing a, a touchdown, not just a field goal because of the the Judon play there. Yeah, the Jets had negative yardage in the second quarter. I mean, this was going as you would expect from the New York Jets. They get on the board with a field goal from like the moon. Like that's that's <laughs> they got the first three. Uh, and then, yeah, like the the Matthew Judon spins inside Mackay Becton for the safety. Remember, the Jets' offensive line was bad to begin with and then banged up as well. My, uh, Zach Wilson's pressure rate in this game, it was only like 50%-ish, which for him is massively improved. Like it was sky high off the charts. That's not insane. even the offensive line, though. I mean, it's well, like – it's both. I mean, it's It's, it's not the offensive line. It's everything. He is sitting there waiting – Fields was doing the same thing. I mean, you could sometimes you got to see bad quarterback play to appreciate good quarterback play. It's almost like when Fields, in particular, drops back. He's catching strays during the Jets breakdown. When Fields drops back, it's like let me wait as long as I can until someone's in my face. I mean, that's Zach Wilson. It's it's a little different. It's not waiting. It's like I'm going to move into the pressure. I'm going to retreat so my linemen don't have proper blocking angles i'm going to roll out because i don't know i'm just not going to throw the ball on time that's the biggest issue with zach wilson here in year three it's not even the throwing of the ball it's just seeing it and throwing it on time because there's a few i mean it's not like there was never an open receiver in there either you know no um but heading into this game at least i think it's been a collective of everything the offensive line is bad and zach wilson is bad and the two of those things together make each other worse and everything is awful um then you add in the fact that they're banged up on the offensive line as well, and down players doesn't add up to an awful lot of success. Um, if you're going to be taking victory laps mm-hmm. uh, three weeks in here, are you willing to concede a, a miss on, say, uh, Christian Gonzalez? Not a Patriots chance. first round corner. No. They're no. like early in the game. Another nice game, gives, gives up only one first right. down, has a pass breakup. To Zach Wilson. Last week he did it against the team that just scored 70 points. He had an interception. Yeah, and it, and the interception was nice. It was also like a wildly underthrown pass where he just beat Tyree Kill to the ball. Anyway, this week it's like I knew this was coming. I literally wrote it down in the notes. Like Christian Gonzalez is potentially shadowing Garrett Wilson in the game. Like, holy crap, if he does a good job today, wow. But it's like but against Zach Wilson, Zach – like. I could cover Garrett Wilson all day, shadowing him. The ball's still not going his way because Zach Wilson's back there. Look, Look away from the ball. Doesn't man. matter. Look at the plays. Look at the non-targets. See him moving and yeah, moving covering. has never been his problem. That's literally yeah, no, now he's making no... plays on the ball. Right when it's like wildly underthrown, it's just hanging up there for somebody to go catch. Like number one note in everybody, every single person's evaluation of Christian Gonzalez is the man moves better than any corner to come along in years the problem has always been the last step which we don't get to evaluate in this game because Zach Wilson is throwing the ball um, as much as Zach Wilson's the problem the Jets rushing attack now look it all it all coincides right you're going to stack the box and make Zach Wilson beat you I get that but Brees Hall Dalvin Cook combined for 36 yards on 20 carries long of seven their uh, average, average, uh, they're contacted behind the line of scrimmage on average. New England did a great job up front, but again, it's in part because you're not afraid of the pass game whatsoever. So Brees Hall bottled up, Dalvin Cook has been bottled up all season. 
even if you draw up the game plan, as you know, every talking head on TV is like, oh, this has got to be all run game. It's got to be Brees Hall. Even I'm saying, man, I would just maybe keep feeding Brees Hall and hope that he breaks one. It doesn't work. It just doesn't – it can't work if you don't have room to run. And so the Jets don't have room to run and defenses don't respect it. So um, I think this might be the week where they, they look elsewhere at quarterback. It has to be frustrating that they can't even run an offense and that – the Jets' defense gave them opportunities to yeah. play, gave them opportunities. You the one, Take out one busted coverage, man, and this is just as bad on the other side for the New England Patriots, and the Jets' defense is giving the offense multiple opportunities to make a comeback, and they just couldn't do it. It's like last year. Like, that defense is playing is good enough that if anything viable happens on offense, they've got a chance to win pretty much any game there, and they're still somehow falling short of that benchmark because Zach Wilson is awful. Um they, I mean, the problem is we've had this conversation over and over. Like, there's only that many. Like, the the real issue is that offensive line is bad anyway, right? We saw last year an offensive line that's significantly better than the Jets make Matt Ryan <clears throat> collapse late in his career, right? Matt Ryan apparently is one of two veteran quarterbacks that's picked up the phone and been like, hey, would you, you know, would you be interested in bringing me out of this booth back onto the field? His agent, his agent called. Whatever. The point is the Jets didn't return the call. And honestly, I think that's the right decision. Matt Ryan behind this offensive line gets murdered. Um, who was the other old Chad ass? Henney? No. Chad Henney. Oh, Carson told Wentz yes. reached out. Carson yes. Wentz was the other quarterback that he reached out. Now, that one maybe. Um, but Matt Ryan behind that offensive line is a bad idea. Uh, Chad Henney was more he turned them down because, frankly, the dude's having a better time than he would behind that offensive line from his retirement. So, fair enough. Uh, Dalvin Cook. I remember when James Cook was coming out. I'm like, you know, uh, relations scouting is a little weird, but those two are like clones of each other. Only James Cook was like 80% of Dalvin in every aspect, right? Just 80% is good, 80% is big, 80% is fast, um, 80% of Dalvin. Current Dalvin actually looks like 80% of James Cook now. He's just not the same guy. It's, he's done. It's flipped he's, pretty quickly. He's old and busted now. It's not, yeah. it's not Dalvin Cook anymore. Doesn't look good. Doesn't look good for the Jets offensively. Credit New England. They, um, To me, this was a take-care-of-business game for New England because um, Zach Wilson, as someone in the chat says, Zach Wilson is like a rain game, but there was also rain too. <laughs> so um, New England's got Dallas next week. That'll be a little more interesting now after what we saw from the Cowboys last week. Patriots get on the board with their first win. Efficient running game for the first time in a while. Zeke averaging five yards a pop. Looking a little bit better. Ramondre Stevenson, a little rough start this mm. year at running back, not creating after contact. Had at least mistakes. one drop in yeah. there. So um, just One drop, one play where he was late looking for the ball and it just pinged off his head or something. Yeah, like, some, some ugly idea. ones in there for, uh, for Ramondre Stevenson. All right, let's stay in the AFC East, Sam. Okay. Miami Dolphins, 70. How much? 70. Just this week. Yeah. Broncos, 20. Most points scored since 1966 third most ever and they pass up the opportunity to kick a field goal and make it the most ever the box score looks fake yeah i mean it started with uh tyree kill wide open weaving through the defense for a 54 not even weaving just kind of running straight actually 54 yard <laughs> touchdown and then things got worse for the denver broncos he who was it he ran around the broncos safety which i think was probably uh, I'm just checking the number to make sure it is before I write him off. No, it was Elijah Campbell. He ran around. No, no, sorry. That's uh, Dolphin safety. 
uh, yeah, Kareem Jackson. That's who I thought it was. So Kareem Jackson, pretty long in the tooth, you know, relatively old as players go these days. He ran all the way around Kareem Jackson in the kind of way that makes players retire. You know, it's like that's, that's the play when you're evaluating it personally on the film. You're like, I, I can't do this anymore. If that, if that is possible to happen to me on the field, I no longer have a place on this field. Now, look, it's Tyreek Hill. He can do that to a lot of players, but that's, that was the kind of play that makes you think about where your life is going if you're a DB, and Kareem Jackson just let it happen right in front of him, and that was like the start of the floodgates. From that point on, this was – remember we were talking last week uh, about the way things got away from the Texans because they got in a hole early and it made everything more difficult and they had to – is scoreboard pressure a thing that people talk about in football as well as rugby? But like – the scoreboard starts getting away from you, right? And that changes the way you play. Like game flow, we talk about a lot with football, but scoreboard pressure is a word or is a term that you hear a lot in rugby. And this is what it felt like. They were Miami put up points quickly early. The Broncos are trying to get that offense together and make it all function and yada yada. And now it's like 21-10, you know, the two-minute warning, and then it just completely spirals out of control. And this happened a couple of times in this game. It's already bad. And then a couple of plays bounced the wrong way, and Miami, every time that happened, Miami just put a touchdown on the board. And now it's just like, what, 35-10 at the half? And you're like, oh, God, there's another half of this to go. Then they scored another 35 in the second half. Yeah. Then, it, to me, it just became, like, I'm not going to call the Broncos out, but it just looked like an effort thing, too. Like, literally everything that the Dolphins they just, yeah, they dialed just up out of there. is wide open. I have never seen so much open green grass in an NFL football game. I've just never seen it. For, from a run game perspective, from a pass game perspective, uh, the, the stats look fake. The Dolphins' rushing attack, they finished with 350 yards, okay, on 43 carries. So they averaged 8.1 per carry on 43 carries. And I'm just, I'm just looking at the overall stats that include a QB kneel and yeah. a couple fullback dives in there. And I like, mean, they're averaging about many, nine yards a pop with their running backs. And now. how many runs – we're on that final drive where they were just getting nothing, right? Like one yard, one yard, yeah. one yard, just to end the game. That's counted in there as well. Um, it Devin was a. like Chain a- with uh, 203 yards on 18 carries. I mean, the the Dolphins, in a, like their ability to just get to the edge and and have their their players in wide open space. The uh, the, the Dolphins deserve all the credit mm. for this, but I have never seen a defense just not be able to even have an edge player in the run game as often as Denver did. Having all of their uh, middle-of-the-field coverage defenders just vacate and allowing the Dolphins running through green grass. I mean, it was as good as it was for the Dolphins, it was that bad for Denver in, that, in the, their defensive effort. Yes, and that's the thing, the defensive effort. Denver's defense last year, really good. Like, the thing that was helping do whatever they did last year was the defense. This year, it's like, okay – Sean Payton's come in, let's try and fix Russ. But, like, did anybody pay attention to the defense? Because apparently it's fallen to rack and ruin. It was catastrophic. And every time, like, Miami got an advantage, they pressed it home immediately with a big score. Like, it looked – this was a college game where the professionalism at the college level isn't there. And when things start to get out of control, they can get out of control quickly because effort does become an issue. You're like, ah, oh, we're getting stomped. We're just, just pack it in and – you know, come back next week. That's kind of what happened in this game. Denver's defense legitimately looked like it just packed it in and gave up halfway through. Remember Urban Meyer, how much he got mocked for wanting 250-250? 
If we could just get 250 rushing yards and 250 passing yards in every game, that's what that's the goal. That's what we're striving for. And everyone's like, you moron. Do you have any idea how much yardage that is, particularly on the ground? That's absurd. Miami did 350, 376, 350 rushing yards, 376 passing yards. And it could have been more. Like, they eased up at the end. Mike White played in the game. And, you know, the run game at the end, they literally passed up points just trying to get out of the game. Mike White also had a 68-yard touchdown to Robbie Chosen. Robbie Chosen. Robbie comes in, formerly Robbie Anderson, also formerly Robbie Anderson. With a different and Chosen style. Anderson. And Chosen Anderson. Yeah. Now Robbie Chosen is averaging 68 <laughs> yards per catch. Does he have any other catches this year? I don't know. Anyway, um, it was It was ugly. Yeah, and was, there was no Jalen Waddle. No, oh, that's the thing. Yeah, Miami didn't even was down need, one of his most didn't even need most important players. Jalen Waddle. So uh, it was Tua, su- it was summed up by this tweet from uh, somebody called Danny Drip Marino. The Broncos traded a first and a second round pick for a coach who just got beat by fifty by their former ball boy. That's Mike McDaniel. Right? That's yeah. Know. That's Mike McDaniel. That's yeah. uh, Andrew Hawkins. That's good uh, analysis. Tweeted out that I had a big long tweet about this, but like. Um, Mike McDaniel grew up in Denver, used to be a Broncos ball boy. They wouldn't even interview him when they had the head coaching vacancy for Hackett, right, for 20, in 2022. Didn't even, didn't even want to take the McDaniel interview. It was probably a factor. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, the fact that Miami every time ruthlessly put up a touchdown, any, any opportunity was given in this game, probably played into it. And I also think like, late in the game, when they didn't go for the record, I don't know if the, the that that I say patronizing, you guys say patronizing. That that was probably part of it, right? Like, you know, what was what's the what's the most painful thing that could happen in Denver right now? Is it us setting a record against them? Or is it us going, you know what, no, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you I'm gonna be easy I'm gonna ease up. I'm not gonna do it to you. I wouldn't do that to you. I'm gonna be nice and not put up seventy three. <laughs> Just leave it at 70. A nice round 70. I mean, I don't... There, there used to be times where people got upset about teams running it up or anything. It's just, you're playing football. You well, the running just, it like, up thing... Playing. I mean, the running it up so thing they hit a, happened they hit before that. play action shot. I mean, some of them were just runs that were wide open. Yes. Other ones, I mean, yeah, they took a deep shot with Mike White. Like, who cares? Right. Good. No, but, but like, I mean, you know, Patrick Mahomes was off the field like four minutes ago in the third quarter or whatever. Like... Miami potentially could have pulled some starters way before they did. But anyway, the, the running it up thing wouldn't have been the last. Like, the last drive, they did basically what you do, which is let's send a run to nowhere and just one yard, one yard, zero yards, whatever. They should have kicked the field goal. I mean, they, they were there. for. They hadn't, like, taken aggressive, you know, shots to get into this extra point-scoring position. They just happened to be, again, set up in an obvious field goal situation. At that point, you kick the field goal, you take your NFL record, and you walk off into the sunset. They didn't do it. Instead, they took a kneel and turned the ball over and down. It's not like that ended the game. Some other numbers just to sum up this game here. Just to rub it in. Tua finishes with a passer rating of 155.8. That was second on the Dolphins. Yeah. In this game. The great because, Mike White. Because Mike White had the perfect 158.3. Tua finishes. So Tua's numbers are great, obviously. 26, 23 for 26. For 309, four touchdowns, no picks. But as a team, because you had Mike White in there, the Dolphins were 25 for 28 for 376. They had five touchdowns and three incompletions. They didn't get sacked. Averaged 13.4 yards per attempt. Um, I don't know if, you know, every week there's like 
a uh, PFF grade that we have to you know defend till the end. I don't know if people are going to expect Tua to have like a 99.9 PFF grade. That's not exactly how the PFF grades work, even though he's got a near-perfect stat line. You they basically will. start as average, right, and then you add value with the throws that you make. And so Tua throwing an underhand screen to Raheem Mostert, even though that gives you all the feels and makes the stat line look great, that's not going to add to the mix. Tua played a very good game, obviously. At the no look? Was it a no look? Did we give him bonus just... points for the no look? No. It was like, Nying. No. It was like a Magic Johnson thing. I mean, Tua was throwing, he, he, he was doing his usual thing, you know, anticipation, into green grass. Tua played a very good game. It doesn't mean it's going to be the greatest PFF grade of all time. The halftime stats for Tua are potentially more interesting than the overall one. Halftime, 16 of 16, that's 100% completion rate, in case you needed help. 206, two touchdowns, a 158.3 perfect passer rating, and a 35-10 lead at the half. Yeah, this was... Uh, the box score looks fake. Regular stats, advanced stats, it all looks fake. Did you, uh, but it's a full team effort for Miami and a full team effort of terrible from the Denver Broncos. Lost in this whole mix, is it wasn't Russ's fault. Yeah, not It wasn't at all. Russell Wilson's fault. He actually threw the ball pretty well overall. Even like he had a touchdown late, you know, relatively late on when they're just trying to put points on the board to make it not as embarrassing as it was, negated by an illegal shift. Now, it's one of those ones where Illegal shift is always... You're going to break down an illegal shift in the 70 saying, to Potentially, it's on the quarterback a little bit, you know? Like, the receiver's moving around, but there are some oh, yeah, plays the where the quarterback needs sure. to pay attention. There was another one, though, in last night's game where it wasn't on the quarterback. Like, at some point, the receiver has to stop moving. Anyway, Russ maybe could have seen that and, and prevented... A touchdown comes off the board, and then Russ misses a little bit. So, it's not like Russ is perfect, but no, this was not his fault whatsoever. This was the defense just capitulating. And since we're in week three victory laps, Marvin Mims has a 99-yard kickoff return for a touchdown and also – And a big play. Yeah, seventy, uh, another 38-yarder in there. Guy's averaging like 50 yards a touch, and yet we still can't get him on the field more. Yeah, I think the sad thing for Denver is Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Marvin Mims, like it's starting to come together offensively, getting your weapons and everything, but the defense was atrocious. 15 snaps he played again. It's absurd. Guy's averaging like 50 yards every time he touches the ball. we got to move on. And he's only just out-snapping little Jordan Humphrey now. <laughs> Houston Texans 37, Jacksonville Jaguars 17. Texans taking it to the Jags at home. Both teams now 1-2. and two. This game was a nine-point spread coming in, and the Texans maybe one of the more surprising. There's two big upsets this week. This is one of them. Impressive win by the Texans. First dub for PFF Bobby. Yes, congrats to PFF Bobby. C.J. Stroud, D'Amico Ryans, first NFL win, and it was a really good game by C.J. Stroud. Yeah, the Texans it was. Game. No, it was a good game. Um, it, this is another one. Remember last week, those uh, like the adjusted score thing that we were mocking a little bit, mocking and using at the same time. So what we can do here is uh, as only uh, as fraudulent um, analytics people, you and I. Uh, the, the adjusted sort of score information suggested that Jacksonville was actually the better team versus Kansas City, and yet because they just couldn't put the ball in the end zone, it wasn't reflected in the score. I mean, even just using yards in this game, like 356 for Houston, 383 for Jacksonville. And for the second week in a row, it's like, do Trevor Lawrence's receivers hate the guy or something? They kept screwing him over and over again until late on, like Trevor Lawrence then started adding to the problems by making mistakes. But... Like, early on, he was absolutely dealing again. Tim Jones on the sideline couldn't get two feet down. It was like a replica. That would have fitted in perfectly with the Kansas City game. It was four of those, all of them in the end zone. Um, so, Tim Jones does it. 
Uh, Calvin Ridley dropped a touchdown. Right. On, uh, he dropped a touchdown on a on a perfect pass. Yes. Over the shoulder pass, and he also dropped a first down slant. Right. Um, Jamal Agnew hit in stride, catches the ball, then fumbles it away. It's like, dude, what are we doing here? Like, there's only so much of a hole you can dig yourself before you're not getting out of it in the course of a game. And Jacksonville seems pretty intent on digging beyond that point. Yeah, so look, Trevor Lawrence played well two straight weeks, and the offense has put up 26 points in those two weeks. Now, he then comes over with a a bad bad, interception. He has a bad interception, too, but I'm just saying, like, there's he played – Right. He played a comparable game to C.J. Stroud, grade-wise. It's going to be two of the better grades um, this week for quarterbacks, the difference being uh, Lawrence's guys pretty much caught the ball, and his interception, his bad turnover-worthy play was caught. Right. Um, Stroud did have a turn. I don't want to focus on the turnover-worthy play, but Stroud had one in there. He misread a linebacker. Stroud was fantastic, though, other than that. Going through reads, accuracy, he had, that, he had one play – that I thought was just great. You know, you throw the you have the play action with the quick hitter behind the linebackers, and it, it it's often there in the NFL, but it wasn't on this particular time. And Stroud sees it immediately, resets his feet, and throws a deep out, perfect for a first down. You don't see that often in the NFL anywhere. And C.J. Stroud executed it to perfection. Um, the thing I was some other I don't want Justin Fields catching strays again the thing I was <laughs> the thing I was criticizing Fields for last week I, I, I used the statement Fields doesn't look athletic in the pocket meaning he's not going from one to two athletically he's doing it in a uh, without a good throwing base so yeah um, CJ Stroud did however do that right he athletically moves from one to two and throws the ball with precision. It's not as bad as my favorite stray of the week of Derek Watt catching one <laughs> on Sunday Night Football. Just talking about J.J. Watt and, the, and you know, the amazing work he did and blah, blah, now he's on TV. And then uh, T.J. Watt and him wrecking the Raiders every time they put him one-on-one. It's Derek Watt, the other brother's not in the NFL right now. Yeah. And Derek's out of football. And then just moves on. It's like, dude, <laughs> poor Derek Watt. It was like J.J. and T.J. were like, hey, can you at least give Derek a mention on the yeah. show? You know, he feels gotcha. bad. He feels bad. They're always talking about us. <laughs> Sure, we'll mention him. Sure, JJ. TJ, we'll take care of you guys. Imagine just sitting there watching that last night. Derek Watt currently sitting around with the fam watching the game and just catching a stray on the side. Former NFL player Derek Watt. Brutal. Clearly the third best career of the Watt brothers. Yes. Anyway. um, Um, The other thing that was screwing Jacksonville in this game is special teams. We, I mean, you and I, not big special teams people, right? But the, the mantra is always, look, it doesn't need to be good. It just needs to not ruin the game for you. And Jacksonville special teams ruined the game for them. There's Blocked a, field goal, and then one of the most absurd plays you're ever going to see is a kick return. So it's uh, it's 17 to 10 in the Jags. So the Jags, the, the Texans go up 17 nothing. Jags start keep they're they're coming back after the hole that Jacksonville had been digging. Like right. dig, dig, dig. It's 17 to 10. We're still in this. And then so it's 17 to 10. Third quarter. The the favorite in the game is starting to make a comeback. We see right. this in the NFL a lot, right? The favorite, they're 10-point you know, favorites, 9-point favorites. They fall behind. They come back, and they, they right the ship. The Jags are on their way to doing that. There's a short kickoff. Andrew Beck mm-hmm. muffs it. The up man muffs it, picks it up, and then runs through the entire Jags defense, runs by the entire Jags defense for an 85-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. Yeah. He's not the kickoff returner. No. He's a fullback. Yes. Now, Andrew Beck, my memory of Andrew Beck was back when he was at Texas as like an H-back type. He was a great run blocker at Texas. 
and team builder GM Steve, right? This is where it's like, man, I liked him as a run blocker seven years ago. And look, he would, he would, give, me, uh, he would give me a kickoff return for a touchdown because I appreciated his run blocking seven years ago. Well, That's what GM Steve was thinking yeah. here as he's running by everybody. He run blocked for himself. He was, was like, incredible. I got it. I got both parts he of this. He outran everybody. What a roller coaster that must have been internally for him, you know? Because they, it was one of those kicks where they drop it at like the five or the seven. They try and put it right in that zone of hesitation where it's between the return guy and the blockers, right? Just to try and create some sort of chaos. So he basically, I, I don't know who the returner was, but he like got in his way and was like, I got it. And then he didn't got it. He dropped it. You're like, oh, no. Worst thing possible. Like, I have made the biggest screw-up possible on this play. I got in the returner's way, I claimed the ball, and then I, screw I dropped it. I put it on the turf. That's, like, the worst thing that Andrew Beck could have done on this play. And then he completely redeems himself, Dumb and Dumber style, by picking <laughs> it up and then housing the thing down the sideline. Busting, like, three tackles along the way. Beautiful. It was like the Dan Connolly play, except he actually made it into the end zone. There's uh. There's no way he's supposed to – he's, like, allowed to catch the ball. No, right? that's what I'm saying. Like, you made the cardinal sin of, look, you're not allowed to do that, but if you're going to do it, don't drop it. Like, whatever you do, make sure you secure that thing and don't screw it up. In baseball, you won't – you'll love this. When there's yeah. a pop-up in the infield, uh -huh. the pitcher is never supposed to catch it for whatever reason. Best athlete on the field. But they never want the pitcher to catch the ball. So when you were practicing these drills, we'd, we'd be in the middle of spring training. And the, this was the rep for the pitcher. They would, they would hit a pop-up, and you'd just say, up! you just point, and then get out of the way. That was the rep. Like one, I did 15 reps of ball yeah. in spring training per day, and like six of them were just up on pop-up day. you just point up, yeah. and you, know, you just never catch it. Just get even, out of the way. Don't catch it. Do you even have to like – are you pointing at the ball, or are you just saying it's I just up say, there? I just to say it's up. Just so look up. You, just go. you find it. But it's yeah. up. Yeah. The third baseman's then they have the third baseman's gonna come, you know, running sideways over the mound to try to catch it. And that's better than having the pitcher try to catch it. That's that's how baseball's done it for okay. 150 years. But um it reminds me of Beck, who's never just like, get out right. of the way. Just don't catch just go block somebody. Don't catch it. And he's like, No, nah, I'm gonna catch it. I'm gonna hate myself for this, but why don't they want the pitcher catching the ball? I mean, the, the, the other fielders are paid to be fielders and the whole thing. And some you know, I think at the major league level, the ball's up so high. You're not used to catching pop-ups as a pitcher. That is their job. Well, maybe they could be the if they spent that time catching the ball instead yeah. of just pointing at it. It was fine. I didn't ask questions. I just if, if it's like <laughs> if it's a little bit, if it's like more of like a little looper type deal. You can catch it, but like when it's really high up there, you just you point, you get out of there, and you let all four infielders run over the mound, trip over the rubber, and all that. It, you're literally it's somehow easier. You're literally a walking embodiment of that uh, difference between generations thing. You know, like. Millennials and Xennials and whatever they've reached at this point, they, they always want to ask why. You know, they need to know why. You, you're like, I didn't ask questions. They just said point. I said, I pointed. No, I, it, was good. it was, I didn't need to know why. It was easy reps. <laughs> easy reps. Just do my job. Yeah. Um, do your uh, victory lap week here, Tank Dell. I mean, look, the, the, one of the touchdowns was, was a coverage bus and wide the hell open. But, yeah, look, Tank Dell's good. It seems like fast receivers get the coverage bus. Get coverage bus? I call that the Kenny Stills. Kenny Stills, Kenny Stills. had 4-3 speed. Why was it always – you don't need 4-3 <laughs> speed to be the beneficiary of the coverage bus. But right. it always seems like Kenny Stills – Kenny Stills is a big play threat. It's like he didn't beat anybody. He ran straight faster than but most people, but he ran right. straight. But that was Tank Dell on his last touchdown. Mm -hmm. But two big plays in there, two downfield throws. Yeah. I mean, Tank Dell is a good receiver. Like, feed the man the ball. But more to the point, like that 
receiving core for Houston is good. I mean, Robert Woods, Tank Dell, Nico Collins, all three of those guys are making useful plays with this offense. That is not a bad trio for C.J. Stroud to be playing with. Um, so, yeah, I was, look, I was impressed by Stroud overall, his accuracy, adding those rece- uh, getting those receivers in the mix in different ways. From a Jaguars perspective, their defense had played pretty well for two weeks, and this was a disaster. I remember last year at this time, I think they were 2-1. and one. They were coming off a, uh, a beatdown of the Chargers. And it was like, oh, Jags are for real. Every time you think they're for real, they, they have a setback. The pass rush is still so inconsistent. Trayvon Walker, I'm going to call him out every single week until he starts to become a good pass rusher. They're so inconsistent on that side of the ball, much like they were last year. And now... The offense is starting to let them down, too. But, again, I don't think it's Trevor Lawrence outside of a couple throws. Trevor Lawrence is playing well. The receiving core is letting Jacksonville down. Yeah, for two straight weeks, what was supposed to be a strength, that receiving core, has been the architect of Jacksonville losing games, honestly. Like, you could make a pretty strong argument that they should have won both the last two games if their receivers had simply played normal football and caught passes and didn't fumble the ball away after they did so. Um, For Jacksonville, like... Look, it took a while for Rashawn Gary, but the fact that Trayvon Walker hasn't changed and looks the same player as he did week one of his rookie season is a little bit concerning for this. Like, you're gonna if you're drafting Trayvon Walker number one overall, the entire selling point was he's not there now, but he is the most athletic freak to ever enter the league at this position. He will become something. Well, he hasn't changed, so that's problematic. If he's gonna become something by definition he needs to transform from where he was into something better and that is not happening right now yeah I I think like I said before the season Jags beat writers were concerned about the pass rush and I Josh Allen has always kind of had his ups and downs week to week his ups are really high they're really good but he's been inconsistent and I think that's where the Jags pass rush is just very inconsistent because if Josh Allen's not making plays it's really not much else beyond him he was going up against the great josh jones though of course our next partner is ag1 the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health i drink it every day kick it off in the morning even at uh, 7 a.m right here ag1 and a little caffeine gets me going gets me all the nutrients i need for the day love to kick my day off with ag1 give me all the energy give me what i need to kick things off All great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. I used to take care of my body like a pro athlete, Sam. I would have loved to have AG1 back then as part of my daily routine. I'm just glad I have it now, though. Setting myself up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give me key daily nutrients that support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. Do this every day, and you'll feel better. And the best part is it costs less than $3 a day. You just mix a small scoop with water and, uh, and get going. Pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with high quality sourced ingredients. It's win-win across the board. It's if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com PFF. That's drinkag1.com PFF. The number one in there. Check it out. All right, let's go uh, this Buffalo game. This Bills game. Bills 37 to 3. 37 to 3. Uh Commanders with the late field goal, is that right? It was 37 nothing. Yeah. Uh late field goal with 50 seconds left to get on the board, but Buffalo with a dominant win against the Washington Commanders. Sam Howell gets sacked 9 times mm. 
and picked off four times. I'm going to make a statement here. Yeah. I don't think the uh, commander's offensive line was all that bad. They weren't great. But the nine sacks were more about Buffalo and Sam Howell. But uh, yeah. Bills make a statement here. And their defense has played real well this year. It has, yeah. Um, yeah, Sam Howell takes some terrible sacks, which has always been a thing. It's always been a feature of his game. Um, his sack rate in college is like off the charts insane for a guy as good as he is. He just takes some horrific sacks. And then you, he's got that little bit of YOLO to his play, you know, in terms of where he's passing the ball. I mean, you saw the good side of that last week, the week before, where he put that ball where only Terry McLaurin could get it. Denver, yeah. Two weeks into ago. kind of double, triple coverage, but last like well-placed into that coverage, right? Yes. Not just a heave and into players and hope his guy gets it. Like it was a well-placed pass into aggressive coverage, tight window, but hit it. The flip side of that is when you don't get it right and you're just – now you just look like you're putting the ball in harm's way with ridiculous regularity. Now, look – Okay, there's four interceptions, so it's bad, right? But, like, one of those interceptions, it's not the worst pass in the world. It was a really, really good play by the linebacker to do exactly what you hear talk about sometimes of, like, an athletic play to sort of get depth, squeeze the window shut, and then picks it off, like, full extension to make sure he comes down with it. That's not the worst pass in the world. Other one's bad. But then when you combine that with the taking sacks thing, now you've got just an offense that isn't going to function anymore, right? You can't do both those things at the same time. You can't really do either one of them, but two of them combined is catastrophic. So from a, I want to describe the Bills' defense and how I think their coverage unit deserves a ton of the credit for the nine sacks. First off, Terrell Bernard had that interception at linebacker. Yeah, he also had a sack play. on a blitz. Terrell Bernard, one of the underrated stories for Buffalo was that them moving on. I mean, it was a big story for Buffalo. Moving on from Tremaine Edmonds this offseason at linebacker, they had like a three-way battle for starting linebacker opposite Matt Milano. Terrell Bernard was fantastic in this game. I think he had a fumble recovery too, if those, those don't matter. But um, great interception, had a sack. Those don't matter. Those don't matter, no. Bernard was already, he was a 2022 third-round pick out of Baylor, and he was already a pretty good run defender last year and only 111 snaps. But... Um, Still fantastic against the run. I mean, he just knifes in and gets into the uh, gets into running lanes, finishes plays. But he had the great interception in this game as well, and was just all over the place. So just something to keep an eye on for Buffalo as the linebacker play. Bernard stepped up, um, but I tried to go through all nine of those Sam Howell st- uh, sacks. Some of the notes. I mean, the Bills were just playing tight man coverage. Nobody's open, and Sam Howell's not the type of guy who's just going to like quickly. Um, quickly say no to a progression and get to the next one and get to the check down so as soon as you take away read one and read two from sam howell it's like a sack opportunity here so the bills defense did a great job taking i'm not taking anything away from the bills pass rush but this is one of those instant reaction nine sacks offensive lines trash bills defensive fronts great and there were certainly some plays in there leonard floyd had an elite pass rush in there there were some good ones but so many of them i mean there's an rpo where he just it's a running play right he holds the ball, doesn't throw it, scrambles out, gets sacked. There's the extra rusher on a blitz. There's I mean, um, Sam Howell literally just runs into Gregory Rousseau on a well-blocked play. Um, so the Bills were taking away those first couple reads, tight man coverage, and then that allowed the pass rush to get home. I mean, even if you just look at the numbers for the offensive line, the Washington offensive line 
No, the Washington blockers. Forget the offensive line. All of the Washington blockers combined allowed 11 total pressures. But Sam Howell sacked nine times. Now, either, and there's some of this, every one of those pressures turned into a sack, which is partly a Sam Howell problem in and of itself, or Sam Howell personally is contributing quite heavily to those sacks by creating pressure and sacks that aren't there otherwise. Either way, the quarterback is owning a pretty significant portion of that problematic uh, end result. Um, on, so just to wrap up that point, the interceptions were, some of them were pretty rough from Howell as well, including a pick six by A.J. Epinesa, throws it right to him, Epinesa with a little stiff arm and takes it to the house. I mean, it's just dominant from Buffalo's perspective. So many negative plays that they forced. On the other side, one of the matchups I was looking forward to was the Bills' offensive line. Were they going to handle Washington's defensive line, which was, uh, you know, a lot of you know terrorizing the Cardinals in in Week One and the Broncos in Week Two, and they got nothing. Uh, Josh Allen, I don't think he got hit in this game. They didn't. At least the Bills didn't allow a hit. Their pass blocking across the board was good against Chase Young and Montez Sweat and all the uh, Deron Payne and Washington's defensive front. It was really good. Um, Buffalo's pass protection. So impressed there. Josh Allen hits Gabe Davis for a bomb for their, you know, all they really needed as far as a big play offensively. But um, Josh Allen did YOLO a couple in there, but (laughs) didn't matter because uh, just a just a dominant performance for the Bills. Yeah, it felt generally like we were getting the good version of Josh Allen again, but the couple of YOLOs he had were pretty, pretty rough, just didn't get they didn't one, cost him anything. One was on third and 20. We did – somebody. I don't know if we got a, a tweet or a, an email. I think somebody emailed us during the game or something. Um, the one that he threw, I mean, they're up 16 nothing, and it, it basically was an arm punt. I am not – I'm not a fan of the third and long arm punt like the um, a lot of the analytics people are from like mm. an EPA perspective because I think you're, you're, putting, you're putting the return into the hands of uh, your offense – basically. Yes. So if you do throw a heave to a free safety, say, you're giving the free safety, you know, sometimes they catch it, they go to the ground and it's a zero yard return, but you're just giving them a free run without a coverage team. Right. Right. The reason why you punt is because you have a punter who could put it where he wants theoretically and a punt return coverage team. Um, Granted, they have their punt returner out there as well, but at the same time, you don't have control over the return. Right, people Bye. act like a catch at the point the ball arrives is the only outcome of a an arm punt, but you're all, you're completely forgetting the idea of a return off the back end of that, which changes things significantly. This play in particular, everything else is on the right side of the field. Like he's gone to the ISO side to the left, where it's one on one down the sideline. The safety's coming over as well. If that gets picked off, there's literally nobody from Buffalo on the left side of the hash marks for the rest of the field. Like, if he can get a run down that sideline, okay, I'm sure they can, like, the angle and the, you know, they they can close that off, but not before he gets 50 yards further downfield, which is a bad punt. Right. So, um, look, it didn't affect him. The the week one arm punts by Josh Allen were also, like, you were passing up open receivers or open runs uh, in, in order to throw the ball into double coverage. So... I tweeted yesterday, the Bills are still elite as long as Josh Allen isn't arm punting. I believe that. I mean, their, their defense has given up, what, 26 points in three games, whatever I sent out there yesterday. Um, remember Sean McDermott took over the play calling this year? We'll see if, that's a, if that is a reason why, the, you know, why they're playing so well. But 
Great games for A.J. Epinesa, who I said had the pick six. Terrell Bernard at linebacker. Micah Hyde. Daquan Jones. Tredavious White had a beautiful interception in the end zone. That was a big one as the, the commanders were driving. And Sam Howell, he was kind of under pressure on that one. Tries to force it. Um, Bill's playing great team defense in this one. Mm-hmm. And for the commanders, it was a rough one. Kind of brought them back down to earth after a 2-0 start, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, this was, I think, the worst version of what you can expect from Sam Howell. Like, it was all of his bad traits manifest and compounded together. It was just catastrophic. I mean, they basically got nothing, literally nothing for the entire game until the late field goal. All right, last of the 1 o'clock games here. Green Bay Packers, 18. New Orleans Saints, 17. Both teams 2-1 and one now. Saints held a 17 to nothing lead heading into the fourth quarter. And then the Packers do the rest of the scoring. They kick a field goal to make it 17-3. to And then the big one that the yelling shows might not be talking about today. The move by Matt LaFleur. They score a touchdown to make it 17-9. to And they go for two to make it 17-11. to And that ends up being the difference in the game. Oh, there's one more 1 o'clock game, by the way. Um, the difference in the game. 17-11. Packers score another touchdown to go up. Kick the extra point to go up 18 to 17. So Matt LaFleur's decision to go for two in the traditional go for one situation ends up being the difference in the game for the Packers. Mm-hmm. Uh, great comeback here. Derek Carr gets injured for the New Orleans Saints. It's uh, no break, I don't believe, but AC joint got driven into the, the, not the turf, the grass, which apparently is a big thing in this injury. That it's if grass. been driven into turf. Well, then it would have been broken and shattered to smithereens, but it was grass, so it did, you know. Is that what people are saying? Yeah. The, the Saints, I think, are saying that. Thank God this happened on grass. If it had happened on turf, the man would have no shoulder left. I don't want to get into the grass versus turf. I don't have a dog in the fight. I just know some of the football games over the years when it's a little muddy yeah. on the grass Everyone... are so bad and ugly. That's, I mean, why does the NFL want turf? Because there's more points. It's yeah. easier to score generally also, on turf. Like, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Also, the turf now oh, – whatever, I'm not getting into it. The turf now is not – it's not artificial turf from the Astrodome. Yeah. It's not that hard. And honestly, but either way, I'm glad there's not a break, and I'm glad that Derek Carr might be able to come back here. In right. A Everyone weeks. wants grass in every game until you see what that looks like, you know? And there are games where when grass is down and it's weather or whatever, it's not great. I mean, this game, Jordan Love almost lost his ACL and a groin – by slipping on the grass in this game and like doing the splits and like that was one of the worst plays i've ever seen in an nfl game it was bad but also like i mean to him getting out of that without injuring something was pretty miraculous that was because of the grass right the super bowl was just an entire game of people slipping on their ass because of the grass it's not all it's cracked up to be all the time um but apparently it's a significant part of Derek carr still having a shoulder if you listen to certain people um we this was a sort of jordan love come down to earth game a little bit he hadn't had an interception yet although that wasn't necessarily due to uh being particularly careful with the football heading into this game uh finally had one and still wasn't tremendously careful with the football also for the second time at least missed a wide open luke musgrave for what could or should have been a touchdown just open up the seam overthrew him by quite a significant margin I think that would have been a touchdown. It certainly would have been a monstrous play. I was waiting for some kind of Packers fan to give me the the, the Steve before tweet and after tweet stats for, for Jordan Love because I, when I – the stats aren't even that great because he still missed a ton of throws, but I did tweet out his, his accuracy is 
He's got some wild misses. Mm -hmm. I mean, just some really bad misses. But, man, I was impressed with just the Packers as a whole, how they handled the fourth quarter. Um, Love had his two big-time throws in the the last 16 or so minutes of the game. Throws a beauty down the sideline to Romeo Dobbs. Um, A beauty up uh, the other sideline to Jaden Reed that put them into scoring position. Romeo Dobbs with the back shoulder. Was that the game-winning touchdown or the first touchdown? Um, Love and the Packers played much better down the stretch. His inconsistency early on, though, it was like, hey, when there's not a tap pass and a wide-open pass in the flat that are easy touchdowns, you know, helping the stats, you do come back down to earth statistically. I don't think Love played that differently in this game than he did in the first two. He just didn't have the the stat patterns that he had in some of those, you know, first couple games. I mean, I think you see just how fine the margins are in the NFL. Like, if you're going to miss a what is effectively a touchdown up the seam to a tight end early in the game, like, that's seven points that should be on the board. And if it's a low-scoring game, immediately you're in trouble because you just passed up the difference between winning and losing because you missed a guy who was an open target. You just missed. You missed by five yards a target that you should be hitting as an NFL quarterback. So, you know, if you're going to be a quarterback like Jordan Love, who so far every piece of evidence we have on him says he's going to be an inaccurate, inconsistent quarterback on, you know, over any extended period of sample size. Like he's just not the most accurate quarterback in the world which means you're going to have to do some special things because you're going to miss throws like that, which in this particular instance was worth seven points, but generally speaking, it's going to be a high EPA type of play, and he's going to miss some of those that other guys don't, which means he needs to find that extra EPA somewhere else, and that's the battle that a guy like that has. Like, It's very easy to be an efficient, good quarterback if you're very accurate because you're going to take every opportunity is there if you're going to miss some opportunities to come up you need to find a a way of getting that back elsewhere and that just puts you under pressure so you know Jordan Love was able to come out of it in this game and able to dig that back but to an extent it was a you know a whole of his own uh creation I'm so Packers deserve credit for hanging keeping it close allowing the offense to make that comeback I also look Derek Carr I know he got hurt and everything I talked about the red zone woes for the Saints coming into this game. It happened again, man. I mean, Rashid Shahid has a punt return for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. The Saints offense only puts up 10 points. Chris Olave is doing what he can, man. I mean, he he had a big catch on the, the comeback attempt. They also missed a field goal to win it, right? right. Um, Jameis Winston hits Olave for the 28-yarder. For the but before all this happened, Derek Carr – Another, he had a passing grade of 28 in the red zone, once again. And now through three weeks, in the red zone, he's 5 for 17 with a 37 PFF pass grade. That's worse than every quarterback in the NFL. The worst red zone passing grades, Derek Carr, Zach Wilson, Ryan Tannehill, Josh Dobbs, Bryce Young, Sam Howell. I mean, it's, it is a, a rough group. And, and that's been, to me, that's the story. I think the Saints, they have points that they could put on the board. They have opportunities. I know the offensive line's been inconsistent and you want, you know, blame the offensive line for Carr getting hurt or whatever, but they played a lot better, I think, overall in this game than they did the previous two. They've got playmakers, man, and they just can't put enough points on the board. They have opportunities, though. The other dynamic is New Orleans' defensive line has been pretty decent this year so far. The Green Bay Packers have that thing. You know the way everyone gives the Steelers credit for being able to just pick a wide receiver in the draft at random and that guy's going to be amazing? The Packers seem to have that when it comes to offensive linemen. 
they no David Bakhtiari again. Um, so Rashid Walker is playing. Zach Tom is one starter at the other tackle spot. Josh Myers, uh, Royce Newman, John Runyon. That's their five on the offensive line, and they allowed almost nothing in the entire game. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, you could say the same thing about the Packers receivers, and that's what I think makes them so intriguing as a team. They're going to be playing the Lions this Thursday night, 2-1 and one versus 2-1 and one for first place in the NFC North. But the Packers receivers of second-year Dobbs and rookie Jaden Reed and rookie Luke Musgrave and rookie Dontavian Wicks, and those are their receivers this week. So, and it's not like they're playing with a quarterback who's getting the ball out of his hands like immediately to you know make sure that the offensive line doesn't give any pressure. Like Jordan Love is skewing towards the slow end of the spectrum, not the fast end, and yet they're still not giving up pressure. Um, so credit to the Packers. The the Saints did get in position for the game winning. Was it a forty eight yarder? Um, so I don't want to like completely change. Look, the Packers won, but it was a close game. You know, it was one of those toss out. I don't know what the expected score was. Probably like <laughs> eighteen to eighteen. Probably seventeen seventeen was the expected score. But here's the deal, man. Matt Lafleur made a decision that won the game for the Packers. It wasn't reckless. It wasn't weird. It wasn't crazy. It won the game for the Packers. Going for two to make it 17-11, to 11, and that's what put the Packers over the top here. So a game management decision leading to a win for the Packers. That's the difference between 2-1 and 1-2, one and one and plus a missed field goal. That helps mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Speaking of decisions, the Chargers, 28. Oh, boy. The Minnesota Vikings, 24. There were many decisions in this game by Brandon Staley, as always. Uh, but the Chargers... Get on the board with their first win, 1-2. and two. The Vikings fall to 0-3. Justin Herbert finishes 40 for 47 for 405 yards. It was the, uh, per Ben Solak, highest completion percentage for a player with, with at least 40 completions in a game. 40 for 47, that's 85%. That includes the turnover-worthy touchdown to Josh Palmer. But uh, Keenan Allen goes 18 catches for 215 yards. Wow. And all that said, the Chargers go for it on fourth and one at around their own 20 to win the game. Fullback time gets stuffed, gives the Vikings another chance to win, but a tipped interception ends the comeback attempt for the Vikings. Lots, a lot to uh, unpack in this game. Yeah, and this was the other game uh, that had one of the highest blitz rates in NFL history. Justin Herbert was blitzed basically all the time by Brian Flores in the Minnesota defense. Uh, what have we got? 49 dropbacks, of which 41 were blitzes. It's like 20, I mean, that's what, 84, 85%? It's pretty high. Yeah. Of those blitzes, do you know how many resulted in pressure? 10. 12. So they oh. blitzed the ever-living crap out of Justin Herbert, and it did nothing. That's awful because <laughs> the whole point about blitzing is you're going to create pressure come hell or high water like it might there'll be holes in the coverage yes. but you'll at least have someone exactly. near the quarterback you are going to get pressure they may find the hole in the coverage before it matters but you're going to generate some heat they didn't even generate the heat it's like we're going to send the house and the house is going to get picked up man it was such a fascinating game both ways i mean there was Early, remember week one, the Chargers game script against Miami, they they were running the ball not twice as much as they were passing, but right. it was you a know lot. they were they were running they had more running back attempts than dropbacks, and it was like all right, 
Kellen, I know Kellen Moore got booted out of Dallas because he wasn't running the ball enough for some. And so Kellen Moore is going to come in and run the ball with the Chargers. Is this uh, – so since they lost Austin Eckler, they've had no run game. Is this a running backs matter? Like is Austin Eckler on the fo- – like sending them texts during the games being like, tried to tell you, you know, all well, I, I wanted think, was the money, you know. I think Eckler's one of the difference-making running backs. Because – As a pass catcher as well. I think remember the speculation in the offseason was, look, running backs have no leverage, right? Every single one of these guys that tried to make a point or a contractual negotiation, stalemate, whatever, tried to play hardball, they got screwed, right? Saquon had to come back for 900000 extra and still had to play in training camp. Um, Josh Jacobs had to show up for the same amount of money. Okay, he got the missed training camp, but basically a wash. Austin Eckler, you know, didn't get traded, didn't get the giant amount of money. The speculation was, though, that, okay, they can't win back the money, but maybe you're going to get this, like, malicious compliance thing where running backs go, oh, actually, I've picked up a a niggling thigh injury. And, you know, normally I might play on through that, but since you're not going to give me any more money, I'm actually just going to go, no, I'm hurt. I'm not playing. Because now you're sort of seeing what happens when they're not on the field. Like, Austin Eckler was crushing things in that first game since Austin Eckler has been there. I mean, Joshua Kelly in this game, uh, what, eight attempts. Sorry, that was uh, – never mind. I'm looking at wrong numbers. Yeah. A, 11 was, for 12. There right? you go. Uh, 11 attempts, 12 yards. Isaiah Spiller, two attempts, seven yards. They had no run game. Um, and it's not like the Minnesota Vikings defense is tremendous. So I'm kind of wondering if there are situations where these running backs will take their sweet-ass time to get back on the field – and when that happens, they start to look a lot more favorably. I mean, the rebuttal is, we just scored 28 points. We're scoring 26 per game without you. I know we scored 34 with you. But the rebuttal is, we can have a game in today's NFL where we drop back. I don't, I don't know what the exact – at the same time they had six or seven carries, Justin Herbert had almost 40 dropbacks. Right. Um, I, look, I like as a concept the team that will adjust week to week – and adjust to the game plan. I mean, I think that's how you win in the NFL. That's how New England did it for years, right? There would be some games where Tom Brady dropped back 25 times to start the game, and they didn't run. And then other times they'd run the ball and run play action or whatever. I mean, if if you if you want if you say, look, even though the Vikings' run defense just got torched by the Eagles last week, you say, hey, our best bet is to spread and pass, is to is to chuck it around, replace the run game with the pass game. That's what the Chargers proved that they could do with Herbert and um, with their, with, when Keenan Allen and Mike Williams just got banged up. But when all those guys are healthy, that is a difficult pass game to stop. So uh, that's the rebuttal is like, hey, we're still putting up points. Yeah. About you. Keenan Allen also with a 49-yard touchdown pass to Mike Williams in there too. So the uh, I don't know. Chargers finished with 454 passing right. yards. I've always thought this. I don't know what the frequency should be, but I feel like a simple like double pass play should be used more often than it is. Right, they'll either like a toss play to the running back who then pulls up and throws it, or the wide receiver screen who then the wide receiver throws it. Like this was a very simple, you know, vanilla double pass play, and the Vikings defense just a complete and total coverage bust and lets the guy wide open behind them. Like clearly, you can't do that every game, right? Because they're going to eventually defend it and figure out like we're now never going to bite on this thing and we're going to do it. But like it should happen more regularly than it does. Because if you're not going to respect that, they are just going to toss it behind you. And if you do respect it, then you're automatically not 
dedicating as much resource to the screen as you could otherwise. So, yeah, I mean, this is a very basic level football thing. But, like, I, I can't believe that is, is as infrequent as it is as a play, given how effective it is when it works. More trick plays. You're looking for more trick plays. Just even those ones. Just the routine simple thing, right? Like, either it isn't going to be worked because they're actually going to respect the, the threat of the double move, the fake but if that happens, then there's automatically one less guy dedicated to stopping the, the first screen. So it's, it's beneficial either way, the threat of it existing. Um, Alohi Gilman is a player that needs insane credit from this game. Notre Dame safety. So goes out there and just takes the ball off TJ Hawkinson. Like pass over the middle, first down, I think, on a, a third down uh, conversion play. Just took it away. Just grabs it. Just grabs the ball from T.J. Hawkinson and rips it out of his grasp. At first, like, I thought they were going to call it an interception. Right. Because I didn't know if Hawkinson had it long enough. I was like, man, that would be another <laughs> rough interception for Kirk Cousins. Yeah, to be on the stat sheet for the QB. Yeah. Um, but that happened a few – there was a couple of plays in a couple of different games where that happened yesterday, where somebody just went out and ripped the ball away from a dude. Um, so Gilman gets that. <laughs> That's the seventh lost fumble from the Vikings in nine quarters to start this season. They almost had another one later on. Again, Gilman. Um, but they, en- they ended up, like, reversing it. Like, it was – he basically stripped the ball again, but they ruled, I think, that Madison's forward progress had been stopped and took the fumble away from him, even though it looked pretty clear that it was. Um, so he had an amazing game. Yeah, so I want to highlight some other key plays in this game. Just before the half – Chargers are down 10 to 7. They have a fourth and one, fourth and goal from the one on the Minnesota one. They choose to go for it rather than taking the three. And uh, Justin Herbert throws a laser beam, Donald Parham, for the one yard touchdown. That decision going into the half was a four point decision by Brandon Staley, mm-hmm. right? It decided, and they ended up winning by four. So, you know, just remember that for a minute here. The velocity on that ball, by the way. Was ridic- the replay looked ridiculous. Like, I don't know how he even yeah, like, caught it. Yeah, you look at the replay and you're saying, okay, it was a one-yard pass straight at him, and yet that was impressive to bring that ball in, the velocity that it was traveling at. So that was, that was one play. So the Chargers go up 14-10 to 10 at the half. They hit the Keenan Allen to Mike Williams touchdown, go up 11. Then the Vikings go for it on fourth and six. On the Chargers, 36 turns into a 36-yard K.J. Osborne touchdown. This is where it felt like, hey, the Vikings have a good passing attack as Mm -hmm. Jordan Addison is getting involved here, and K.J. Osborne has proven to be a pretty good big play type of number three. Um, But the Chargers' pass defense has been so bad the first two weeks. It's like, okay, here it goes again. And then there's another one, 52-yarder to Justin Jefferson through the defense. He finishes with 149 yards. So the Vikings take the lead in the fourth quarter, Chargers come back with the throw that I mentioned. Justin Herbert throws the ball through a Caleb Evans' hands to Josh Palmer for a 30-yard touchdown. That's going to hurt Herbert's grade a little bit and help the stats. But um, like I said, overall, pretty good game by Herbert, but they uh, they needed this one. Yeah, and then the ending, right? Like and the, then the ending, right? The, the Vikings versus the Chargers. <laughs> it was set up for one of those how – like the ending of this game, without knowing nothing else about it, the ending of this game will be ridiculous because these two teams find ways of doing that every single game. And it's exactly what happened. Like, how are the Chargers going to charge you this one away? Well, we saw, like, they, they, and the Vikings have a shot. And then the Vikings absolutely butcher the last 30 seconds of getting this, you know, they, they get a, a big play, get them down into scoring you're range. Too, you're going too quick. You're going too quick. How am I going too quick? Because you skipped over 
the Chargers going for it on fourth and one? I didn't skip over it. I said they charged things away. Now it's the Vikings butchering you yada, things away. Yada, yeah. You yada, yada, yada it. Because, you know, you they, can't they, yada, the, yada. the Chargers charged, and then the Vikings, Vikings. You can't yada, yada the decision. The Chargers made uh, – I'll let you set it up in a second. I'll let you explain the Vikings' folly mm-hmm. in a minute. The, uh, the Chargers made a goal line stand with about three minutes left in the game. They, they go first and goal from the three because the Vikings screwed this up twice. First and goal from the three, the Vikings run for a two-yard gain, negative one yard after that, and then incomplete, incomplete. Um, illegal shift gets declined. Chargers come back. For basically, two first downs win it. Mm-hmm. Right? They get the quick first. They come out throwing. First play, throw. 13-yard slant to Keenan Allen. First down. Then they run, run, and they get within third and 11. They, they throw a short pass, get within one yard. It's fourth and one on their own 24. Own 24, you're up four, under two minutes. You just punt it away, right, and play defense, make another stop. No, the Chargers go for it because they know if they convert this, the game's over. Well, the Vikings stuff the Chargers, so the Vikings take over first and 10 at the Chargers, 24. All they need is a touchdown. That is the other decision that Staley – so that's the Staley decision that ended up you – know, it ended up working out, but that was the one that was probably the riskiest, right? You either punt yeah. it, the uh, Vikings need a touchdown, or you win it with one play, or you give it to them on the 24. So they give it to them on the 24, and now the Vikings have the ball again. Yeah, so you back your, off, your offense to make – one yard on one play, and then one of the reasons why that's you know a potentially beneficial decision is the way it ended up, which is even if you give them the ball with time you know time running down, there's a chance they might not get it done, you know, and then your decision's right either way. Uh, anyway, the Vikings make a big play, get down to the shadow of the goal line, thirty seconds still on the clock. They chew up most of those seconds just getting the next play set up. So they've gone from, oh, we're in a good situation, we can spike it, we can get a few plays off, to no, you get one shot at this. Uh, they get the playoff, instant pass, fires it at Hawkinson, off Hawkinson's hands, off somebody else's hands, and then drops into the hands of a defender, game over. You had one shot, you took your shot, you missed your shot, game. Yeah, after converting a fourth down, they had first and goal from the six. Yeah, and get picked off with 12 seconds left here. There was a lot of time that they ran off after that first down. They, yeah, they, That's the problem. They had like 30 seconds at the end of that play, and they ended up getting the next play off with yeah. like 10 of them left. Um, just to go back to that Staley decision, I, I, I don't want to sit here and defend Brandon Staley just because he goes for fourth down, and that's often the most analytically inclined move. I wonder how, like, when, you, when you're modeling this stuff, you're taking in all of the future plays, basically, right? So if he punts it, the Vikings get the ball back with, say, a buck 45 left. It's not – I mean, and they have to drive down and score a touchdown. If they do that, though, there's a chance that there's no time on the clock, right? So if they do score the touchdown, mm-hmm. you're down three, no time on the clock. I think the benefit of going for it on your own 24, as crazy as it sounds, is, A, you have one play to win it, right? Pick yeah. up a yard, you win. That's always appealing to me. You get to execute I mean, one that's play the to thing. win. Like, you, if you, you have one play, your offensive success rate – of picking up one yard should be very high in today's NFL. The other thing to factor, though, and I know it didn't play out like this at all, but if the Vikings are going to score a touchdown from the 24, it's going to happen a lot quicker. So theoretically, you'll have some timeouts, and you'll get the ball back with more time to drive for a game-tying field goal. That's also baked in a little bit. It's not an appealing scenario whatsoever, but it's better than the Vikings driving the length of the field 
kicking a, a t- scoring a touchdown and you don't get the ball back. You're, Just another thing to think about. Your rate of picking up that one yard, by the way, should be even better than like the overall numbers because you're not at the goal line. Like the goal line oh, for sure. changes things because you know there's there's only ten yards of field at that point. So everything is condensed. If you're doing this from your own twenty-four, now look, they're going to stack the line. They're going to they're going to be condensed because they're going to try and stop you getting that one yard. But they can't completely ignore you know the bomb over the top because you just don't cover somebody. We saw that on the Sunday night game where the Raiders took that shot. Right? If you do say no, we're only focusing on stopping your one yard. It's risky, but you can take that shot over the top if they're simply not going to respect that. All right, so Minnesota falls to 0-3. Of course, we know last year they were 11-0 and <laughs> in one-score games. The team can't even regress properly. Now they're 0-3 in one-score games. Uh-huh. Um, I saw old friend Derek, uh, Dr. Eric Eager. Derek Eager. Not him. Suggesting that the, the Jets, you know, people are talking about the Jets can make some moves to get Cousins in the door. Well, that was uh, Gronk. I know other people have brought Gronk, I think, said that two, one of two things is going to happen from this game. I forget what the other one was, but uh, the, if the Vikings lost Cousins, it was gone. That was his thing. I don't know. I don't know if I see that. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen a cornerback as susceptible to simple go routes as a Caleb Evans is for the Vikings. It's like he doesn't respect the idea that the guy might just run past him. It's like, <laughs> no, I'm not going to bite. He's never running at nine. It's going to be something else. He's going to in-break at 15 yards. I'm going to cover that. That's multiple weeks now. He's just allowed a guy to run straight past him and only like at 20 yards as he realized, uh-oh, this might actually just be a go. <laughs> I'm screwed. I think he needs to work on that, you know? Because those are some pretty big plays to just like not bother covering. I would try covering the go route. All right, let's get to the 4 o'clock games. Is that all the ones? Did we miss anything? I think that's yeah, good. I think so. We even remember the Titans. Hmm. Uh, Seattle 37, Carolina Panthers 27. The Seahawks moved to 2-1. and one. Panthers fall to 0-3. Andy Dalton got the start for the Panthers. Kept it close for yeah. a while, and the, the Seahawks... <laughs> Reasonably so. The Seahawks pulled away. And um, run game was really good down the stretch for Seattle. Ken Walker and Zach Charbonnet looking good as the one-two punch that they envisioned. And um, look, you mentioned on the preview show... Andy Dalton right now probably gives the Panthers a better shot to win, which mm. is true. I think we saw that. The Panthers were much more effective throwing the ball and uh, moving the ball in this game. But you don't want Andy Dalton dropping back 67 times as he did in this game. That should not have been the uh, the ideal game plan for Carolina. So Yeah, well, the point was like, okay, look, nobody really wants Andy Dalton starting a game, right? Particularly not when you have Bryce Young, the number one overall pick, as the alternative. Um, but... There was a sense that this could at least give us a control to figure out how much of the current problems, right, the Panthers' offense has been awful through the first two games, how much of this is Bryce Young, how much of this is the situation he's in, it's just not workable, right? And I think we did get a reasonable piece of information from this game, which is to say, look, the offensive line is still a problem. Right? Andy Dalton didn't fix that. He didn't come in and all of a sudden the offensive line looks great and actually Bryce Young was causing all those problems in pass protection. The offensive line still looked like garbage. And they looked like garbage against a bad pass rushing team. Right, So that's a pretty big thing. The offensive line is a problem. Now, what did change is the receivers didn't look like a complete waste of space. All of a sudden, Andy Dalton is able to find some places to go with the football. And look, DJ Chark has got some speed. He made a couple big plays. Chark hasn't always been there for Bryce Young. 
But Adam Thielen had 11 catches for 145 yards and didn't look like the ghost of Adam Thielen anymore. Thielen did look pretty good. I mean, a lot of it, the short underneath stuff, which is fine. I mean, that's, that's Dalton's game. The DJ Chark play, as you mentioned, he had a 47-yard touchdown where he gets behind the defense, makes a nice cut on, I think it was Julian Love for the, for the score. Um, that big play, those big plays certainly have been lacking from the, the Panthers' offense to this point. So, yeah, I think Dalton played pretty well, uh, you know, you still see the issues, as you said, the offensive line. Um, Carolina's just not a – they're just not a great team. And even though they hung <laughs> tough, Seattle – I mean, I credit Seattle too because I, you know, I think I took Carolina because I said, hey, Seattle tends to play down to their competition. And that looked true for about two and a half, three quarters, but then Seattle showed they're a better team. And I, I, I always give credit to Geno Smith for bouncing back because he had another – he had an ugly interception in this one – he threw one to the defense in the end zone, which didn't be, result in an interception, but he has this knack for doing that. I feel like I say it every week. Um, but, again, Geno Smith played well after mistakes. And so I think every time people might expect Geno Smith to be like, oh, this is why he was a backup, this is why he was a backup, still finds a way to uh, get the ball to DK Metcalf, get the ball down the field, and, and make some big plays when they needed it. Um, the other thing, by the way, with this control experiment Andy Dalton thing is this was not just a bad Seattle pass rush, but it was a banged-up Seattle secondary as well. Now, you know, they still had some good players out there. It's not like we've seen some pretty rough secondaries in the NFL where they have to go into the bench and then bringing in disastrous players. Um, the Seahawks had to go into the bench, but, you know, they're Devin Witherspoon, the first you know draft pick, is playing extensively. Artie Burns. Okay, that's your problematic spot. But Quandre Diggs, Julian Love, these are still good players that are on the field. Um, no Jamal Adams. So it's not like it was catastrophic, but it is worth noting that this was not full strength. You know, Tariq Woolen or Reek Woolen as he's going by now, right? Yes. Uh, wasn't playing, right? So that's a, that's a loss for them. Um, so it's at least worth pointing that out. Devin Witherspoon, by the way, looked really good. Yeah, your friend Walt in the chat's asking about... Uh... Devin Witherspoon, he did look good. He did. He looked really good. I mean, he was targeted a lot. Um, 14. Two pass breakups in there. Yeah. Uh, he had a penalty in there as well, which, to be honest, looked fair. Uh, Pete Carroll was livid that they called the penalty on him. I'm seeing it right now. That's the minus one here. So he's, I'm going to grind film live on the air It's here. It's illegal contact. I mean, he's shoving him you know, way past five yards. Now, it's the kind of shoving that oh, happens. that's hand fighting, man. It's not hand fighting. He was, like, blocking him. He that was, was literally, hand fighting. He was – it was illegal contact. He was in his way shoving him backwards. He you was You could literally him. call illegal contact because corners and receivers are engaged down to, beyond five yards no, but all that, the time. No, that's not what was happening. That was college – press coverage where you can legitimately jam the guy all the way down the field tell him he's playing a little illinois defense yes he was jamming the guy 15 yards downfield and the ref was like okay you're taking the piss now and throwing the flag now anyway my point being i think it was fair pete carroll you know noted defensive mind was raging that they called that flag on him like he was on that sideline and ran at the official to be like what the hell so look anyway overall point Devin Witherspoon, 14 targets, gave up five catches for 31 yards, which is nothing, had two forced incompletions. And the one big negative he has was at least a debatable uh, pass interference call, or I think illegal contact. I've said twice in the last three weeks, if Seattle doesn't rush the passer well this week, they've got some issues. I said at week one against the Rams, they didn't do well. Yeah. This week, though, they did. And, uh, you know, shout out to Mario Edwards Jr., who, the former five-star recruit from Florida State, 
former second rounder, who will show these flashes a couple times a year. He had eight pressures in this game. Jaron Reed, six pressures, a couple sacks, including you know uh, one big one down the stretch in this game. So Mario Edwards Jr., Jaron Reed, rushed the, pa- rushed the passer extremely well in this one. For Seattle, taking advantage, as we mentioned, the the banged-up and poor Panthers offensive line. Yeah. I mean, that's the offensive line is the area where, like, that's the problem for Bryce Young now. We've seen that the receivers can at least be functional. Andy Dalton can get that out of them. Um, but that offensive line is hemorrhaging pressure, and that's not a great thing to put in front of a young quarterback. All right, Seattle moves to 2-1, and one, as I mentioned in this game. Um, three more to discuss here. Arizona 28, Dallas Cowboys 16. The biggest upset of the weekend the, the Cardinals Jonathan Gannon's Cardinals get their first win Cowboys first loss they fall to two and one here uh, this was what a 12 and a half point spread here and uh, Arizona just took it to them from start to finish and look Arizona's played really well in the first half of games in particular they played 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 well against Washington in week one in week two they were dominating the Giants in the first half before they blew a big second half lead and in this one, they get up early, and you're still kind of wondering, well, Dallas is a better team, mm. better team overall. They've got some offensive firepower. They've got Dak Prescott. They've got their their, their incredible defense, and it didn't matter, man. That Arizona just um, was it was 21 to 10 at the half, and it was you know they win 28 to 16. Every time Dallas started to come back, Dallas got within a score at the end of the, in the third quarter, um, got within five in the fourth quarter, but Arizona kept. Coming back, huge touchdown, Josh Dobbs to Marquise Brown for a two-yard score to go up 28-16, to 16, and that was it. Arizona yeah. with the win. I mean, the biggest thing is Dallas's defense did not completely shut down this Arizona offense. Dallas's defense has been murdering people the first couple of weeks. And, okay, you can look at the competition they face, but they look, they've looked really good. They look like one of the best defenses in the NFL. And Josh Dobbs and the Cardinals' offense took it to them. They bullied them up front a lot. Um, they're they're doing some creative things as well. Zoom, zoom. Rondale Moore out of the backfield. That was nice. Legitimate running back carry yeah. straight up. Uh, touchdown. That was really nice. You go zoom. You went zoom, zoom. Yeah, zoom, 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 zoom. Right Can we get that? That's the touchdown. sound effect. Yes. Okay. So when we get the soundboard that we've been talking about. Yeah. Every time. I've got to have zoom, zoom on there. Yeah. Every time Arizona creates a big play, especially if it's Rondale Moore. Think. You get the. Right. Zoom, zoom, zoom. zoom. Uh, so that worked. And look, that Jonathan Gannon, you know, whatever he, we thought about him, corny, like, zoom, zoom, comedy. Those teams playing well. I know you're, now, you're, look, this goes against the plan. I know your right? midpoint. I know your midpoint here. What? But. I don't have a midpoint. This goes against the plan of, like, you're supposed to lose. Yeah. Well. You're playing hard is good when you lose because then you can still get your number one overall draft pick. You're not supposed to beat Dallas. Yeah, this was a bad day for Arizona Cardinals draft capital. Right. Because the Texans won as well. Uh, but are you telling me the social media comedians who are all making fun of Jonathan Gannon mm-hmm. because he said some goofy things, yeah, some awkward, cringy things yeah. that maybe, just maybe for the first time in history, we overreacted to some social media videos. Oh, no. No, I think we the same way people overreacted to Nick Sirianni having an awkward first press conference, like, "Oh boy, Nick Sirianni, no, not, not, not cut out for the job. He's going to the Super Bowl in two years." 
Are you saying maybe is there a chance that we overreacted to Jonathan Gannon? No. And the Cardinals are playing hard for three straight weeks, and they just beat the Dallas Cowboys. And if you get a little bit more talent in that building, which they will over the next couple of years, maybe Arizona's getting back on track under Jonathan Gannon? No, I think we appropriately reacted to those videos. Those videos were abominations of human interaction. They, they should have been ridiculed, and they were concerning. But somehow, in spite of those no. ridiculous They had things, zero predictive power to the future. No. It's, what we're witnessing right now is the power of leadership from Joshua Dobbs. That's the only rational explanation. You're saying Joshua Dobbs is overcoming Jonathan yes. Gim. Pew, pew. That's He's exactly overcoming. Yes, it. that's what's happening here. You've got, on the one hand, Cornball over here trying to drag everything down into a world of ridiculousness, Nathaniel Hackett style. And then over here, Joshua Dobbs is rescuing everything. That's what's happening. No, I would like to take this opportunity to trash the Twitter mob who goes and everybody tries to get their joke in. Uh, and you know, Austin Gale said, hey, maybe, maybe it was true. Maybe Jonathan Gannon got those dogs. He's got them, right? He admitted it yesterday, kind of. <laughs> Everybody's got to get their joke in. Maybe you were all wrong. I'm huh. impressed by the way Arizona's playing. Yeah. Now. I mean, by the way, again, like the, this is Josh Dobbs. Josh Dobbs going to end up with like an insanely good grade relative to playing the Dallas defense. He's turned into one of the best backups in the NFL. I mean, he's turned into a starter right now. I know he's a starter right no, now. No, no, but just, like, it's tough to trust him every week. He's playing like he a starter. Just like he, he did last year with Tennessee. Runs the offense pretty well. He adds value with his legs as he did yesterday. But that's the thing. Like, so he's playing like a capable starter right now. Like the Tennessee Josh Dobbs still didn't really look like a starter. That looked like, okay, yeah, this is better than Malik Willis. For chunks of time he did, But it's not though. good. Right now it looks good. Did uh, the Barbarian get home at all? <laughs> Did the Barbarian get home? No, he did not. Zero sacks for the Barbarian in the uh, Barbarian sack watch here. No sacks for the Barbarian. Um, they did get pressure from, like, they, this felt like a weird game where you never quite bought the idea that Dallas wasn't going to come back, but then Dallas would have a run, and then Arizona would get one play in a really high leverage spot and ruin it, you know, and they'd have to start all over again. It's like, God, the, back we go again, right? And then Arizona would actually score and make the hole even more deep for Dallas to try and crawl out of. But they were still kind of plugging away and getting back into it. And then that interception from Dak in the red zone, it's like, okay, that's game. Three yeah. minutes left or whatever. There's nothing more discussed than Dak Prescott interceptions. And I know the, uh, the yelling shows will be all over it. Dak Prescott's not clutch. He threw the pick. I think he got away with one a little bit earlier in the game. I mentioned last week he got away with a potential pick six. This one, just a bad decision. I mean, I know they're down two scores and you got to take some chances but this was triple coverage in the end zone hmm. um, the other comment that I thought was interesting Mike McCarthy's calling plays now right and I made the statement last week I don't know if it's successful or not I don't know how well Mike McCarthy's calling plays because they played they had the bad game flow right it was the Giants game where it's like don't screw it up and they're playing Zach Wilson's Jets don't screw it up in this one you're you're playing from behind and Dallas needing two scores with the ball seven eight minutes left they keep running it and running it and running it. and tony pollard finally had a, a pretty effective game here but after the game mike mccarthy said hey they were playing high right they were inviting us to run basically so we ran and and it it probably left dallas with a little bit too much time and then when they actually started to take some shots in the end zone dax feeling like he has to force it i mean that, to me that's a little something is mike mccarthy going to be he's getting dictated to by the defense is that a a concern as the play caller, instead of saying, no, 
this has to be Dak getting the ball to C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup and my playmakers, my tight ends. I have to let Dak win this game, not hand it off just because they're inviting it. They're playing too high. Um, so then when they finally throw it, Dak throws it into triple coverage for the interception. Yeah, and Arizona had also held on a fourth and goal, I think, a little bit before that. Like, they, yeah. when Dallas was mounting the comeback, the Cardinals, they, get, they bent a lot, but they didn't break. Like, they held in a couple of really high-leverage key situations to stop this getting away from them. Which Dallas had several red zone plays. Yeah. And I, I know red zone, red zone production is generally is, – it's just like one-score games. It's just like a lot of stuff that fluctuates from year to year. But I also feel like the good play callers are able to get you some gimmies. Yeah. In the, in the, in I mean, look so at Andy Reid. I mean, yeah. the, the fact that every single time, seemingly, they attempt those ridiculous shovel passes as a walk-in touchdown, there's something to that, right? They're not, it's not the same play every time. Defenses know it's coming, and they're still able to just dial it up at will. Like yeah. Andy Reid. Show Patrick something. Mahomes, add a little tweak to it. Yeah. It opens up free. You, you need free scores. And Dallas did did not have that. I mean, credit Arizona for shutting it down, but Dallas terrible in the red zone, including that late interception by Dak Prescott. Um, a relative lack of impact from the, the Dallas defensive superstars. I mean, Michael Parsons had one sack, but there was really only like one or two plays where he reminded you that hey, Michael. Like, remember the game against the Giants where it's like, dude, Michael Par. Every time he's on the field, he's ruining the game for for New York. They can't move with Michael Parsons there. There was like two plays where he had that flash. The rest of the time, they kept him reasonably quiet. First uh, game without Trayvon Diggs. We didn't get to mention that, great on the back end. So we previewed the show, the the game on Thursday. On Friday, Trayvon Diggs injured out for the season. Was it on? Didn't he? I think it was was like on the Thursday. Was it Thursday? In practice. Oh, no, it must have been Thursday. Towards ACL. But we didn't know when we were previewing it. Right. Um, So we didn't get to discuss that before. But that's a, a big loss because having that depth in the secondary and he was giving up what a passer rating of one yeah into his coverage what is that better than it's better than uh, throwing the ball to the dirt every play yeah throwing the ball into the dirt um and the last couple of weeks you know stefan gilmore has looked not at his best like maybe on the wane this wasn't a great game by him and now he has to be the number one not the you know the number two compliment yeah it's just it's just stressing you know that defense a lot now it felt like arizona just played the underdog role really well Dobbs got rid of the ball pretty quickly to help negate the rush you have the Rondell Moore play where it's like hey we're just we're gonna out out flank the defense because of alignment and Rondell Moore is gonna you know take it to the house and they you know they their their deployment of Rondell Moore is getting quite interesting like they're using him creatively not just that backfield carry sort of straight up the middle but they've used him in like They've given him handoffs and carries in like weird motion, you know, pre-snap motion, got him faking orbits or jet sweeps or whatever, and then giving him the ball on the way back. Like they're with with blockers out in front, they're they're doing some cool stuff with Rondell Moore. All right. Well, the Cardinals are becoming much more watchable than I anticipated. Yeah, is what else? I mean, they're playing well. Like whether or not they win these games, they're good games. Like they're yes. good to watch. Yeah, and they've got some young players on defense that um, they're given opportunities to. So. 62-yard field goal in this game as well. Who is it, Matt Prater? I should probably know who kicked the 62-yard field goal. See, that's why it's too much. It's too much stuff. I think it was Matt Prater. I'll tell you who's not watchable right now is the Chicago Bears. Oof. 41-10, to 10, Chiefs beat the Bears. How not watchable are they? As a Fox kid. switched off the game at halftime. Yeah, so it's um, really quick. We got Sunday ticket through YouTube TV. Mm-hmm. 
and I, I, I panicked. I didn't know because I, I got the three. I got three screens going. And when you take the thing that says it's Chiefs versus Bears and it just flips to the game I'm already watching on another screen, it's like, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. Did you even think about this, YouTube TV? Did you even anticipate what's going to happen when the local affiliate moves to another game? So this is a a PSA for anybody that ran into the same issue that I ran into. When you click join live on the game, you have two options, right? You can watch that game through the local affiliate that has turned to a different game, Mm -hmm. or you could do the Sunday ticket game. So when I so I had to switch it to the Sunday ticket game, which is always available, right? Because it wouldn't make sense to switch off a game that you know every you know I want to have all the games on, even mm-hmm. if it's forty-one to nothing or whatever. <laughs> I want to have all the games on. So uh, we figured it out. I panicked. I, you know, I threw it out into Twitter because sometimes you get quick answers when you do it on Twitter. Um, but we found it. So anyway, this was a beatdown. Yeah. I mean, remember we were going into the game going because of the week that Chicago has had. It goes one of two ways. Either it galvanizes the Bears, and this is a completely random, close game for no good reason other than Chicago wants to stick it to everybody and everything that happened to them this week, or they get wrecked, and it went the wrecked route. They yeah. were terrible, and the Chiefs stomped them. And for a while, it looked like Miami's 70-20 to 20 win wouldn't be the biggest win of the day. Yeah, I mean, look, Kansas City, the, the Bears made a stop against Kansas City's offense on the first drive, and then that was it until... Blaine Gabbard came in. I mean, we said this the other week, right? Isn't it insane how many times games like that happen that way where, like, the first thing that happens is actually good for the team that got stomped yeah. by, like, 50 points? If you could just hold on for the next 55 minutes, you'll, <laughs> you'll make it into a game. The first one minute, great. Yeah. The next, you know, the next 59, not so much. Uh, Mahomes and the Chiefs looked sharp. They looked um, as expected, right? Um, Mahomes had one unbelievable throw to Justin Watson for 37 yards. Everything else was, again, under the underneath stuff that the Bears had no answers for. Greg Olson, was it Olson on the game? Yeah, that, that's uh, the thing, right? So they had, I mean, they had the A team, the Fox Alpha number one broadcasting team. And at halftime, they decided this game is such a shit show. We're switching off. We're not... We're not even going to bring you the rest of this game. That's how much of a joke it is. Despite it being Greg Olson and, you know, the, the best guys we have, we're out of here. Yeah. And it's Chicago. It's like a giant media market as well. Wild. Um, and Taylor Swift was there. Oh, yeah. What's your breakdown on the Taylor Swift thing? Do you I know s- a single Taylor Swift song? Nope. Gotcha. I mean, when I hear them. <laughs> I don't know the names. I can't believe how many people online do like full, like our football friends who do full Taylor Swift football crossover podcasts and, and like pun and like rank every song and yeah. history and uh-huh. all of it. Yeah. All I, I saw more Taylor Swift than I saw Andy Reid yesterday. I don't think there was any shots of Andy Reid on the side. The guy just passed uh, Tom Landry. Tom Landry for most you know, fourth most wins in history, and I saw more Taylor Swift than Andy Reid. And I'm not just like crotchety boomer right now. I'm just <laughs> that's just an observation. <laughs> saw more Taylor Swift than Andy Reid yesterday <laughs> while watching the game. Yeah. yeah. Do yeah. you have anything? You have anything to add? In the Taylor Swift, uh, Travis, Kel- Travis Kelsey's seven catches, 69 I, yards, and a touchdown. I tweeted all the thoughts I had on the subject. You did? Yeah. It's, which was two. I may have unfollowed you. I had you two again. thoughts. That was it. I don't look. I'm not <laughs> like somebody. I tweet. I had one Taylor Swift tweet, right? And then somebody was like, "Who cares?" Like, yeah. Look, Taylor Swift. Whatever you think about her, right? Like her, don't like her. Like the music, don't like the music. The one thing you can't really deny is she appears to be quite a popular human being. You and know? all you're trying to do, you're just trying to hit the algorithm at the right 
angle, right? If you mention Taylor Swift, you know, the tweet might pick up a little bit. So you got to do that. I mean, look, you you gotta, trying to, it's doing it for the algorithm. You got to tap into the zeitgeist, which at the moment apparently is very Taylor Swift focused. Yeah. My other thought was that you know that it's, it's, there's something to this relationship when she's comfortable enough standing next to Donna Kelsey, she's, Travis's she's, mother. She's sitting with Donna. Right. So she's met Travis's mom. No, 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 not just that. that I mean, that, that itself is notable, right? But the real key part was when Travis Kelsey scored, she was comfortable enough standing right next to Donna Kelsey to scream in her ear, let's fucking go! You don't do that if it's just, you know, you just met the woman first time. Like, now maybe you do if you're Taylor Swift, right? You're I'm like, sure Donna was doing that from the first snap. I've got more honest. money than God. I can do whatever the hell I like. Who's going to stop me? Who knows? But in the usual, like, social etiquette world, that would be a, you need to have some familiarity with the family before you're willing to go there. All right, we spent way too much time on that. Uh, Kansas City looked as expected. On the other side, with Chicago. Hang on, one last Kansas City thing, not Taylor Swift thing. Uh, Juwan Taylor's now being bullied by the officials. Oh, yeah, they're calling... Uh, Everything. They're calling this stuff. <laughs> but they're calling it now even when it's not. Like, he's now actually being victimized. He's gone all the way from, we've never called a single penalty on this dude, we're just letting him get away with murder, to actually now we're just going to call... Like, ah, you think you're in the right spot? Not today. Flag. So Andy Reid is now benching the guy, basically for his, not for his own safety, but like you're being like they are calling bullshit penalties on you that are taking touchdowns off the board. So we're going to take you off the field because this is yeah. ridiculous. People were trying to tweet at us about that and everything. It, it, it is kind of ridiculous. I think it's it's got to be the easiest thing in the world for the NFL to police. Which well, it would be if the they pre, did. The pre-snap alignment for the tackle. Forget yeah. the jump the snap thing or whatever. But the pre-snap alignment for the tackle. Your head being in the middle of the body of the guard and all Center. Center, sorry. Like, that's not that hard. No. I, so, I have been... Like, people are like, where was your outrage on this? Blah, blah. I have been literally bitching about this for, like, 20 years. Right? It has always irritated the crap out of me that they take the piss in this way. Right? I would be all for like a two- or three-week period where the NFL just goes jihad on this and says, if you are even vaguely off that line, we're throwing a flag on it, right? And then everyone would get the message and everyone would stop doing it and everyone would be lined up where the hell they were supposed to be lined up. But instead, what they've done is basically go, we had our pants taken down on an island game where everybody was watching, so we're going to take it out on you. Juwan Taylor, we are now going to make sure that you get all these flags. And everyone else... They can still line up wherever the hell they like. Just not you. The NFL's bullying Juwante. They are. Um, so that took off a, um, I mean, it was a bad busted coverage, but was it Valdez Scantling was going to walk in for like a 50-yard right. touchdown? It's just as well they had another 78 touchdowns that they could put on the board. Um, so the Bears, just when maybe there was going to be signs of life, they were unable to move the ball whatsoever. Justin Fields drops an absolute dime up the sideline to DJ Moore who drops it. Next pass, tip, interception. I mean, the Chiefs had like three drive, three two-minute drives in the first half where they just kept getting the ball back and having a chance <laughs> to put points on the board. Yeah. And at that point, they were like, are they going to bring Mahomes back? Well, of course they are. They're going to you know, bring him back out there and keep putting points on the board. Um, Greg Olson was lamenting the lack of design runs that Justin Fields had been a part of coming into the game, much like we had. Mm -hmm. Perhaps they have, uh, they have our data you know, helping with the broadcast and everything. But it's the same way I'm saying Arizona played the underdog role well, right? Josh Dobbs is going to run it a little bit. We're going to do a little trickeration with Rondell Moore. It's like the Bears aren't 
tapping into any of that. They don't even go into this game thinking, we are so outmanned right now. They're, the Bears' pass rush against the Chiefs' offensive line might be the biggest mismatch in the entire NFL, right? It really is. It's bad. You're outmanned across the board. You have to try stuff in an underdog role. And it took till drive four before you saw Justin Fields actually keep it. Um, yeah. they're, the speed at which they are not learning lessons on Chicago, the offense, is staggering to me. I, I don't understand why this has taken so long. Here's what I wonder, though, and this is the risk. As much as I, I like the quarterback run game because I know what it opens up in the pass game, and I know if you've got other deficiencies, it can create open throws for you, as I always say. How much do you think Justin Fields, when he ran for over 1,000 yards last year, he got hurt quite a bit, rib injuries. He took a lot of hits. Was it just a health thing for him where they're like, can we just not do this? Because even in this game, right, he got the peanut punch to the face. Which, by the way, he so he left the game. He got up and was like, you know, wobbly, right, visibly. His own receiver. Took a forearm shiver to right. the head. Which wasn't a penalty somehow. Yes. Um, DJ Moore, like, has to walk him to the sideline. He's like, dude, this guy's not right. Like, get him off the field. And in this world now, the post-Tua world, where they change the regulations now, where if you are visibly impaired, you're done. We just shut you down because we can't have you coming back on and getting toured, and then we have a whole, like, crisis to deal with. He came back in the game. That's wild. And, by the way, this is, like, midway through the beatdown, even just in terms of, like, if there's any doubt whatsoever. We don't need him back this in this game. This was late in the game. Right. Yeah. Like, Chicago should have kept him out of the game. Even if the medical people cleared him, they shouldn't have put him back out there. That was egregious mishandling of a guy's safety. Um, but, yes, like, that, that would be my counter to that is he's going to get hurt anyway. I mean, look what he's doing. Like, look at last week. The dude was taking all kinds of hits in the pocket because he can't operate passing. He can't operate a passing offense from the pocket. So – this idea of let's spare him physically by not running and instead leave him in a pocket where he can't handle it and gets collapsed and crushed in the like that's not helping i know he's he's unsafe in the pocket too because he just waits until the rush gets there that's what i mean he is just waiting it's like there's there's just no on-time throws and every now and again he'll uncork one put it on dj moore's hands and he dropped it mm-hmm. uh, dj moore did have a great catch later but it was you know too much um, so Chiefs dominate, 41-10, to 10, I think, uh, as expected. Looking like the Chiefs, and they get to play the Jets on Sunday Night Football. Can I – I, I think it's quite hysterical how on brand this cameo from Blaine Gabbert was. Oh, yeah, you have to do the Blaine, yeah. Well, look, at one point the Chiefs, what was they, 35 up, 40? Did they get to 41? Yeah, they obviously – It's 41 nothing. Blaine Gabbert didn't score. Um, 41 nothing up, and Nick Wright – friend of the show is out here tweeting that they're gonna the biggest uh the biggest shutout of nfl history is like 50 something zero the 73 nothing the nfl championship game was that nothing as well yeah. okay maybe it's like since the merger it's probably since what the people merger, do yeah. to fudge that. 59 nothing patriots Titans. that's what it is, is that what it was? right so it's 59 nothing biggest uh shutout in nfl history since the merger um and he's like that's in that's in jeopardy right now He's like, the Dolphins with their 70-20, it's not even going to be the biggest win of the day. The Chiefs are going to – I was like, here comes Blaine Gabbard to solve that problem. Comes in, pass number one, interception. And it wasn't even his only one of the day. He had two picks in five attempts. The second one wasn't his fault. It's never all his fault. That's the beauty of being Blaine Gabbard. It was a drop. I know, but that's the part – like, that's the beauty of being Blaine Gabbard is it's not all your fault, but you have this magnetism of awful – 
Like, you, you have your own ability to make terrible things happen, but then you somehow, you suck in all of the potential for crappy things to happen it, by virtue of you being in the offense. The one thing I'll say is it might be a concern when and if Patrick Mahomes gets hurt again. Remember, on their two Super Bowl runs, they needed Chad, Chad Henney to finish the Browns game. Yes. And they had Chad Henney with a 99-yard drive. Mahomes I, is awesome, but also they've had their backups operate this offense at an extremely high level when Mahomes has been hurt. Chad Henney. Um, Matt Moore. Matt Moore. They've had their backups operate at an extremely high level. Yes. Now, look, there, you didn't exactly have a ton of confidence about Chad, Chad Henney or Matt Moore in isolation, and yet, yes, they were able to come in and operate this offense, at least for a drive, uh, extremely well. That being said, I have zero confidence in Blaine Gabbert's capacity to do that in a crunch situation. Just, just something to keep an I eye mean, on. I mean, he couldn't do it against the Bears yesterday when everything was catastrophic. Something to keep an eye on. All right, Sunday Night Football. Let's wrap it up. Pittsburgh Steelers 23, Las Vegas Raiders 18. Steelers move to 2-1. and one. Raiders fall to 1-2. and two. Just a throwback 70s game here, Sam. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right down to the Raiders opening with, you know, five defensive linemen and just being like, huh. We're not going to let you run the ball, so you're going to have to do something else on offense. But it worked for a bit. Bit of a back-and-forth battle early on. The, uh, the Raiders' first touchdown, their only touchdown for a while, was on that fourth-and-one bomb to Devontae Adams. They've done that the last couple of years. Remember, they did that against the Chiefs. I think it was Monday Night Football. Fourth-and-one, run the deep post to Devontae Adams. Forget running it and just converting. Like, let's try to take a shot here. That was huge. That was a huge play. Devontae Adams, uncoverable in this game. 13 I, catches for 172 yeah. and two scores. I think generally that's a high-risk strategy. Um, like, when it works, it looks great. And it's like, oh, that's ballsy. You know, it's a, I, I, I would love to know, actually. We should look that up. Like, what the overall success rate of, like, fourth and one shot plays is because I feel like they almost always work out badly for the you offense. That up. Um, but it did work out well for them, and it was a huge part of the game. But eventually, like, Pittsburgh's offense did at least start to get some joy. I don't know if that was just the Raiders' defense running out of talent. And it was only so long they could just sort of stack the shelf in their favor. Um, but then once they got in a hole, like, they couldn't do much. Yeah, the Raiders' <coughs> non-Max Crosby pass rush yeah. is going to be an issue this entire season. Uh, Pittsburgh had the 72-yarder um, to Calvin Austin, so that was their you know, rebuttal here. 72-yard touchdown to Calvin Austin, who we've said is not just a short slot receiver. He could be a deep threat. He's a 4-3 receiver, gets behind the defense for the 72-yarder. Pittsburgh, I mean, what George Pickens had, what, a 71-yarder on mm -hmm. Monday Night Football? Pittsburgh's <clears throat> offense, man, it is just like a whole bunch of bad plays yeah. until the end, until the second half. It had been a whole bunch of bad plays, bad plays, bad plays, and a random 70-yarder to offset things. That's what they've been these well, last because, couple of weeks. It's because the plays aren't offering anything, but like the talent that they have is actually substantial. Yes. So it's like an offense that's getting nothing going, nobody's getting open, and then every now and again, George Pickens just makes something special happen, or Calvin Austin just runs five yards faster than everybody else and scores a touchdown. Like Marcus Peters wasn't in the same area code as Calvin Austin despite being in man coverage on the play, he just he couldn't live with him. And, you know, as long as Kenny Pickett hits that throw, it's a wide-open touchdown. Um, yeah, and then at the end of the game, there was actually like a really good drive that finished with the Pat Fryermuth touchdown where the Steelers ran a little bit of misdirection, a couple play-action passes, hit the middle of the field, and it was actually pretty coherent offense. Mm -hmm. Kudos 
to the Steelers. On the other side, it felt like the most Jimmy Garoppolo primetime game where you've got Chris as on the broadcast, like, look at his career stats. High yards per attempt, wins a lot of games. And it's like, yeah, it's all true. And there's even some of uh, the EPA heads, right, mm. who were just like, Jimmy Garoppolo, EPA king. It's like just – Well, this took a beating. To add that. some context, man. Like he was with Kyle Shanahan, the EPA, he's the real EPA king. And, and like, I don't think Garoppolo is a bad quarterback. He is the mid-tier quarterback, right? So as soon as you're complimenting him – so this is the classic Garoppolo game. You're complimenting him, and then two minutes later, you're like, what are you doing? What was that pass? And he had a couple of those head scratchers. There was the one where he tells Devontae, go deep. And then he turns the other way and chucked it into double coverage for a uh, – I mean, granted, Devontae was in double coverage too. It was just funny because you see on the broadcast, you see Jimmy's like, go, go, go. And then he turned the other way and heaved it into double coverage for a pick. He just had too many of those head scratchers, and this time they were caught. Yeah, it was a double bluff. It was just, you know – yeah. I'm going here, I'm going here. Right. Uh, Now that we're in this world of, uh, you know, we've got potentially millions of uh, Swifties listening to the the podcast now. Oh, I'm sure they're all tuned in now. They're all getting into the NFL. So you you can't call him, you got to get with the times, right? He's not a mid-tier quarterback, he's just mid. Oh, just mid. That's what the kids would say, the Swifties. Oh, he's just mid. Yeah. Oh, man. So, like, I I use mid-tier sounds so much more respectful. Than mid. Mid sounds like it's not your mid, you're bad, right? Mid means bad, right? Not mid. No, it means mid. That's it's like a it's a very derogatory term. Yeah, but that's because like average is derogatory now. Yeah, but in the NFL, to me it's more descriptive. It's like you gotta know what you're getting. Like when Jared Goff's playing a game on primetime and maybe Dak at this point, when you're when you're on primetime, you're gonna get the people like, see he's good. And then other people say, see he's bad. And and you're both right. He's mid. <laughs> okay. But it's mid-tier, yeah. not mid. Um, why, why did Pittsburgh not do more to try and take away Devontae Adams, given he was basically all they had? The guy had 20 idea. targets. And for quite an extensive period of the game, it was pretty clear that he was the only place they were going to go with the ball. Yeah. You wouldn't double cover him, bracket. We can't take that away more, make you go somewhere else. And, and Jacoby Myers is a fantastic. I mean, he had 12 Kobe. targets himself. Yeah. If they could just those get. two combined for thirty-two targets. Chris is right too. Like, where did Hunter Renfro go in that offense? That dude runs incredible routes. It's you know short air, you know short middle of the field area guy. Like, and it's not like he the wasn't Raiders playing. Should have dudes to throw to. Hunter Renfro had twenty-eight routes run yesterday and just didn't see the ball ever. Two targets. Yeah, like he's on the field. They're just not throwing the ball his way. That's what I mean. Like they are out here with multiple receivers out, out there, and the only place the ball's going is Devontae Adams. Why are we not bracketing him every play? Um, certainly the Raiders would rather run the ball better. Jake, Josh Jacobs didn't get going. Like he didn't have a, any productive carries until maybe like late second half. Did the- you see his interview pregame where he was talking about the contract stuff? No. I don't mean to like beat a dead horse on this stuff, right? But Saquon Barkley said something similar to this as well. Like, Running backs make this argument of, and other people have made this argument in, on their behalf as well. If you look at yardage terms, like we accounted for 50% of the offense, so I should be paid, you know, the moon. I should be paid everything I want. I, I, 50% of the offense, that was me. You're like, okay, but it wasn't, I mean, offensive linemen don't get the yardage, right? So it's not you, it's you plus the five guys in front of you plus whatever you get from the receivers and the tight ends blocking that's what gets you 50% of the yardage. 
pretend like, no, it was all me. All me, baby. Like, well, what happens when that blocking stops existing? Now you don't go anywhere, so you're not. Like, they have this weird... If I was an offensive lineman in that locker room and I heard my running back saying that I generated 50% of the yardage, I'd be kind of insulted by that. Why do you think they bought the line Rolexes and everything? Right, ran for but like thousand. you're somewhat yeah. undermining the free gift of the TV or whatever when you go on TV and you're like, I no, did I this by myself. No, I know. I, I should be getting paid $100 million. Like, what? I heard, um, I think it was uh, maybe Lindsey Rhodes back sometime during the offseason from NFL Network said, the running backs should just try to make an analytical case for themselves, right? Somebody, a lot of people are putting the numbers against running backs. What if somebody made the case for them? And I just, I don't know if it really exists. I mean, the case. I think it, ex- I think it exists for some of the elite running backs. Like, I think there's a probably a good case for like a Nick Chubb or a Christian McCaffrey or a, a healthy Derrick Henry. But across the board, I'm not sure. That's where I think there. the case, I think, has to be. And this is not necessarily like a winning case if somebody knows what they're doing on the other side. But the case is a small sample size wit without, right? It's Austin Eckler right now being like, how's the, how's the production been since I've not been on the field, right? But that's just if you're looking at rushing production. No, I know. At the, the end but, of the day, the point is points. Right. But that's the only argument is to be out there and say, look, when I'm there, this happens. When I'm not there, this happens. Like Christian McCaffrey, even though we know like it's not that simple because Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey's like they basically emerge at the same time, right? right. That timeline-wise, that happened at about the same time. So if Christian McCaffrey wants to make his case, like, look, as soon as I arrived, everything went to the moon. Like we also changed quarterbacks that week. Yeah, whatever. You know, like, and it doesn't matter for him. He already made his contract. He's happy. But my point being, if you're going to try and make the the case, it doesn't really exist. So you have to kind of fudge the numbers a little bit. And Josh Jacobs' case would be like, I led the league in rushing last year, and it's like, well, you won six. <laughs> only won six games yeah. when you did that. I so accounted for 50% of the yardage. I will say, if they had him going, I like this offense a little bit. I, I like it when Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have to drop back almost 50 times. I mean, it times. just can't be this one-dimensional. And not just one-dimensional pass, but one-dimensional Devontae Adams. Like it can't, the, the offense can't be drop back and try and hit Devontae Adams, which is what it is right now. I mean, it's fine yesterday because he's open. Um, I want to give a shout-out to TJ Watt. A couple more sacks in there. Uh, disruptive as a pass rusher as always and then Keanu Benton the rookie defensive tackle for the Steelers where they picked him up pick 50 second round and incredible sack really quick win on one play there he's got an 87 pass rush grade through three weeks coming out of Wisconsin the profile that he's showing now good pass rusher below average run defender that's what he's showing so far through three weeks but man that is if you just use him as a designated pass rusher he's He's going to be disruptive for the Steelers. And a particularly important emergence with Cameron Hayward sort of on the shelf for a while. Like, yeah. that's a big loss for them not being there alongside T.J. Watt or in the middle. Um, now they have Benton, you know, picking up some of that slack, even if he can't do everything that, that uh, Hayward does. Steelers have a really weird defense, man. They, they give up a ton of yards. And it's not just yards, but they've, they've given up a lot. But they also make game-changing plays. They, uh, they have negative plays that, that, you know, the sacks, the interceptions – um, I don't know how well they're going to be able to sustain that, but hey, Pittsburgh's two and one now. Mm-hmm. Big plays from the defense the last couple of weeks. A lot of turnovers and game-changing plays. Yeah, it feels like the Steelers are starting to emerge as what we thought they were before the preseason. Like you know, if you we overreacted maybe, or I did anyway, coming off the preseason, that offense is not what it looked like in training camp and preseason. Equally, it's not terrible. It's like 
it's exactly what we were talking about in the offseason. Actually, a really good collection of talent that might be getting held back by a scheme that's just awful. Um, and that's exactly what we're looking at now. Like, this scheme is, is putting a fairly hard ceiling on how good this offense can be. But they have so much talent. But they just have dudes making plays yeah. a couple times a game. Yeah, It's enough to kind of prop it up, which puts them in a really tough spot because, you know, the defense is good. Mike Tomlin is a great coach. So you know they're going to be a pretty good team. So how do you reach the point where you're like, we need to change something? Like, we actually need to make this switch because this is bad. Uh, Tyree Wilson played just 11 snaps, seventh overall pick for the Raiders. Mm-hmm. Again, every week I might have Tyree Wilson and Trayvon Walker watch just because it's, it's guys we talked about so much during draft time and there's such a discrepancy between their athletic ability and their production. It's just a fascinating watch. It's still a been a rough start, though, for Tyree Wilson. Seven pass rushes, 10 snaps. I see 11 total snaps. Well, whatever, 10, 11. Eight pass rushes, three run defense. What do you say? 11 if you add in a no play. Yeah. That's what I said. You said That's, seven, didn't you? I said 11. I meant I meant 11. I'm looking at the number 11. He had eight okay. pass or whatever it was. Whatever. Either way, he did nothing. It's two and a half hours, man. Yeah, sometimes it's sometimes you forget you're just sitting here live on the air for two and a half hours hmm. talking to everybody. Well, we appreciate everybody joining us on a Monday morning live at 7 a.m. going head-to-head with Good Morning Football. We're not scared. We're not scared of the competition. Head-to-head with GMFB. Um, so, yeah, we appreciate everybody tuning in on a Monday morning. Tell your friends. A lot of fun. A lot of new people showing up the last couple weeks. Stick with us. Hit the, the subscribe Swifties button. All the too. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the Swifties <laughs> are here as well. <laughs> Travis is smart, man. He's just like, hey, come to Arrowhead. The Bears are coming to town. You know, Bears are coming to town. That's Mm. the game you're going to come to. Yeah. Yeah. Mahomes was out there saying he felt pressure to get get Kelsey a touchdown. You know, that's a good wingman. Got to make this guy look good. Oh, I was – I assumed Andy Reid spent all day Friday trying to scheme up Travis Kelsey. Yeah. You think Andy Reid is invested in this relationship? Yeah, because I'm sure Travis was like, hey, I got – a special guest. You may you may have never heard of her, but I got a guest coming on. I something. mean, I can see, I can see Mahomes being invested in this. You know, that's my that's my guy. I want to you know, want to help him, right? So maybe Pat was like, Hey, Andy, we get the couple of these. Unless boys. somebody like slipped Andy Reid some nuggets, I don't think he gives a crap. Yeah, maybe not. I'm surprised Mahomes didn't do the little shovel pass to Kelsey in this game. He didn't need to. He had other ways. Jarek McKinnon getting Kelsey in the end zone. It's amazing how easy some of those touchdown passes are. Yeah. Some people are asking me to apply for the Raiders head coaching job. I don't know if I'd be. I, I would have some awkward. I would have some awkward Jonathan Gannon moments. I think as a head coach. You, <laughs> your first like motivational speech. Yeah. Yeah. Like I could do. I could do. I could give GM answers. We've seen that. right in front of the media. I can do GM. That part you're fine. Answers. Yeah. Like head coach. You know, in a room like a leader, a leader of men inside the, the yeah, the and the main GM has to do that as well. But like the head coach is your motivational leader. Like yeah. you want me to have the same job as Mike Vrabel? I don't, I don't think. I so. mean, you're not given the the Al Pacino speech in in any given Sunday. No, that's not, not even close. No. So I don't know if I'd be a good head coach <laughs> at all. Hit the thumbs up too on your way out if you guys could. At least you great. wouldn't wear a visor. I mean, that's a step. In the I would direction. not be wearing a visor. That make make like. Fro pop up. Awkward. Yeah, bad look. Bad look. You know what else? So the visor itself is bad, right? Oh, like it's a thing that went out decades ago, and frankly, there were only like two or three people that wore them then. 
You know what makes it even worse? It has the visor on in such a way that it like bends the ear over like this. Like it's not even sitting on your head in the right way. It's a ridiculous fashion statement that you're wearing badly. Hmm. Stop it. Put a hat on like a grown human being. I don't know what I would wear on the sideline. I'd just, I'd probably wear the most comfortable hoodie, you know? Well, you're limited. Certainly right, wouldn't wear a hoodie in heat games like some of these. I cannot God, believe the long sleeves that coaches <laughs> wear when it's like 120 in training camp. Yeah. I don't understand that. You're limited to the like the NFL line. It's got to be like the brand. Yeah, but you brand. get to choose. A, no, I know. Options. But like they don't do some things, right? Like this was the problem that uh, your man ran into where he had to get a custom Reebok suit made because they didn't, you know, didn't do that. What's the name? Why am I? Mike Nolan. Mike Nolan? Yeah. Oh, he, he wanted to wear like, the suit. Yeah. Right. But it had to be like it was a Reebok suit. I liked when they had the, the throwback suit games. They'd have uh, Jack Del Rio would do that. Yeah. A little bit. A lot of GM. A lot of people want me to be the Bears GM. <laughs> I mean, you give me, give me a couple of those top five picks next year. Yeah. I'll play that game. Now, what if you just bombed it? What if you just made a complete balls of your first draft with all of that high draft capital? Yeah. I'd get paid pretty well to do it. Yeah. Not that money's everything. All right. <laughs> We're done here. Are we done? We got two more minutes till it's 9.30. I don't think we need to one now. I don't think we need to extend it out. Though. Colorado got smoked this weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all. Rough, rough uh, weekend for the state of Colorado. And for uh, the All Blacks. Uh, they didn't play this weekend, I don't think. Who did you play? South Africa. Oh, South Africa. Are they in shambles over there? South Africa? Was it was a 13 to 8? No, because they're like, that was a kind of, not a moral victory, but you come out of that and you're like, if those two teams can meet again in the final. So you're going to win the World Cup now? You have a cakewalk or are you going to blow it? No, because now we go into the quarterfinal with, with New Zealand, who are like maybe the third best team in the world. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's a joke. This was the game. Well, this All is right. big. But next week, or not next week, uh, two weeks, three weeks? Um, programming note, you might be on at a different time tomorrow. Oh, we'll see what happens. We had a company-wide meeting. Uh, Wednesday, we're going to have JT O'Sullivan on the show. We're going to go an hour later on Wednesday, so just uh, set your alerts. 11.30 Eastern Time, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Enjoy the doubleheader here, Monday Night Football. We'll see you again tomorrow and or Wednesday. More PFF <laughs> NFL Podcast.